get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Chased up and in. Good start for Zach. He climbed the ladder. Freelix retired to start the game on strikes. And another swing and a miss. Two swinging strikeouts. Starts the night for Thompson. Two up, two down. Did he go? Yeah, he went around. Taylor is rung up. Got a chance to be very, very exciting to watch. He knows how to pitch. Climbed the ladder again. He's done that a couple of times tonight. Has four strikeouts. Zach Thompson continuing what he has done really since that second half of the year when he was brought back up to be a part of the rotation, provide the Cardinals a quality outing. And alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Bradford Bruns, who is stepping in, no BK today. I'm Alex Ferrario after a Cardinals loss to the Milwaukee Brewers last night, 8-2. Oh, to two. I know, just... Just missing out on that opportunity to clinch a postseason spot, right, T-Bone? So close, you know. So many more monumental games the rest of the season. But look, this was big for Zach Thompson. And that audio, of course, courtesy of Bally Sports Midwest. Now, the final line doesn't look great for Zach Thompson. He had five innings, five hits, four earned runs. All of them were his. Four strikeouts, one walk, and gave up two home runs. But he was smooth sailing there through three innings before the defense started to kind of fall apart uh, for Zach Thompson behind him. No surprise there. Defense falling apart uh, for a Cardinals starting pitcher, which might be part of the issue why the rotation has struggled. But let's go big picture here because his final 10 appearances that we have seen from Zach Thompson, nine starts, 49 and a third innings, 23 earned runs, 51 strikeouts, 14 walks. It's good for a 4-2 ERA, and he had a 1.29 whip. Did Zach Thompson just basically tell the Cardinals, yeah, I'm your fifth starter next season? Because we already know what it's going to cost to go after a one and a two. We already know that there's a puke point for this Cardinals team in terms of spending money. And I got to be honest, Zach Thompson pitching this way through 10 starts that's probably what you're going to be searching for on the market for a fifth starter yeah that's 100 percent what you'll be looking for when you're looking for a number five next year is kind of what his numbers kind of project forward as when you look at his 10 games nine starts in terms of looking at it over a full season that 147 and a third innings that's probably what you'd like out of a number five about 150 innings and around a 4-2 era and comparable pitchers bk was kind of running the numbers last night and he sent it to sent them to us uh Taiwan Walker, Clark Schmidt, Michael Lorenzen, Andrew Heaney. Those are all kind of names that kind of fit the same category as what Zach Thompson's final 10 appearances kind of project outwards in terms of what a full season could look like with a 4-2 ERA and 147 to third innings pitch in a 1-2-9 whip. So, like, that is what you are kind of expecting from the number five. So did he pitch himself into that conversation? Yeah, I think he did. I I, I think he 
he deserves to be at least considered by the front office for that number five spot. The guy that you just, or the guys that you just mentioned, Taiwan Walker, 165 innings of work, 1.32 whip. He's got a contract, four years, $72 million. You're making 18 mil per year. Clark Schmidt, he's going to be pre-arbitration, 1.34 whip. Michael Lorenzen, who's got a one-year contract at eight and a half mil, who was traded to the Phillies, 150 innings, 1.21 whip. Andrew Heaney, you've got two years, $12 million per year, 1.38 whip. I mean, all of these guys that I just mentioned to you are making somewhere between eight and $10 million. That's what you're paying for a number five starter. And, and I understand Zach Thompson gives people the, the heebie-jeebies in terms of, oh, well, you're going to go with them and it's not going to work. And look what the Cardinals have done in the past. But, you know, Derek Gould's piece talking about Zach Thompson and what he has had success with and what he's going to work on in the offseason. It's odd that that gave me more optimism about Zach Thompson. I mean, he talked about what the offseason plan already has been with Dusty Blake of adding more strength to him so that he can last a little bit longer in games. Talking about finding ways that strength and the uh, working on the leg kick, the strength off of the leg kick is going to provide you that peak and velocity somewhere between 94 where they want him to stay. But this was the line that Zach Thompson said that I, uh, the moment I heard it and read it, I'm like, yeah, this guy needs to be in your rotation next year. Not as a three or a four, five guy. Quote, just give me the ball and I'll go pitch. How many dudes are that way for the Cardinals? Not many right now. Michaelis is that. Michaelis is that. And Matt's. Well, but Matt's problem is he can't say give me the ball and I'll go pitch because he can't pitch. Yeah. So, I, I mean, like. Again, the numbers have backed it up. You've got 10 starts, and some of them against quality opponents. You've got a guy who knows the areas that have made him successful from switching from what he was at the beginning of the season, going to the minors, and then coming back to the majors. And now you've got a circumstance where you can save yourself $10 million of going to the market. Like, all of that adds up to... Hey, Zach Thompson is going to be your number five starter next season. Whoa, whoa. I don't know if he's going to be your number five starter. Okay, and then let's also add into the equation I, the Cardinals going into the offseason. I still don't believe he should be the five going into next year, though he's pitched like a That's five. That's a different conversation. And I, I think I think the best plan is to go sign somebody to be the number five and Thompson is the six. And it's not, it's not because of the performance from Zach Thompson. It's because the depth that that would provide your system with, but, where – Unlike years prior, honestly, every year that I can think of, where you go into the season, you go, okay, if I said this is your rotation for one through five, who's the number six, and what are you getting out of them? The Cardinals would say, going into this year, we've got Matthew Libertor. Okay, what are you getting out of him? Eh, shrug emoji. We don't know. We think he's going to be good. We, we like him. Okay, but you don't know. And that's the whole reason that I would say I want to see Thompson as the number six going into next year because you go into the year knowing – and he can be he can start in the bullpen to be kind of in that long relief swing role. Honestly, the best thing probably would be for him to be in Memphis and pitching. But you go into the year and you say to yourself, okay, who's our number six? Here's our one through five. It's free agent one, free agent two, Michaelis, free agent three, Matt's as our five. Or Matt's four and free agent five. And then I say, okay, who's the six? Zach Thompson. He won that role last year by pitching really well. He's going to come into spring training as the six. Maybe he loses that job to... TK Roby, maybe he loses that job to one of the other prospects like Gordon Graceffo. Maybe Tinkins shows you a lot. I would be surprised by that. But you can then go into the season and go, Thompson's our six. Okay, what do you expect out of him? We expect what we saw from the end here. 49 and a third innings pitch and a 4-2 ERA and a 1-2-9 whip. That is a deep rotation. 
to where you have a six guy. Modern baseball, you need six guys. And that's why I would say they still need to go out and find a number five. It's not based on what Zach Thompson's done. Zach Thompson's been great. He's put himself in the conversation of maybe we do decide to go with him as the five. But I think the best thing for the organization is to say, that's our number six. We still go out and sign three starting pitchers this offseason. Here's the issue with that, though. It's the money you're going to have to spend for that guy. And I'm with you. Like, I do believe that this team needs depth in terms of, look, if Zach Thompson's not the guy, go sign somebody who could be in that rotation with Zach Thompson pushing for that job. I think Zach Thompson has earned it for how he has pitched down the stretch, but I do believe internal competition is necessary for this pitching staff going into next year. But here are some guys that are going to make around the money that we've talked about. And this was the list that we were texting back and forth with last night in our group chat. Hyunjin Ryu, one year, $7.4 million. I should mention these are projections on SpotTrack that put it out there. Wade Miley, 7.8 mil for a year. Kyle Gibson, 8.5 mil for a year. Martin Perez, 9 mil. Paxton, 9.3. Kenta Maeda, 9.4. Severino, 9.8. All of those guys were going north of $8 million. And my hesitancy with that is as much as I want one of those guys so that Thompson, I'm not relying on him. And let's be honest, we're talking about Thompson being the one relying on. You also have to worry about Steven Matz. Like Steven Matz has not shown me he can be healthy all season long. And and that is why to that point, because that's a good point mentioned in Matz at his injury history. That's why they need to go into year knowing what they have in a six. Yeah, because it's one thing to look at the rotation and go, okay, we've got Thompson as the five. And then Matt's, Mike, listen, our two free agents that we signed, put in your placeholder here. It's another when you look at it and go, Matt's probably gives us, what, 20 starts? That should be what you plan on. It should not be, oh, Matt's going to start 32 games. No, that cannot be the plan. And now they may say, well, we think Garcefo is ready. We think McGreevy's ready. Or we think TK Roby will be ready at that point. Oh, no. See, none of those would, guys are ready, in my opinion. I I would I think Graceffo and McGreevy will be there by next Maybe, year. Maybe, but go be an ace in Memphis until I need you. And that's my point, is they should be kind of an afterthought, yeah. and Thompson should be that number one guy. That's why, like, when we talk about, because I agree, the money is going to be the thing that's going to dictate all of this. When I think of that, I, I look at that and I say, okay, I would almost spend that 50 mil that they have, 60 mil they'll have available on the rotation, and then the bullpen arms that they look to upgrade, that's where they're going to have to probably trade and get those guys. That's where you dump a Tyler O'Neill and get a bullpen arm. That's where you look and maybe trade a, maybe it's an Alec Burleson and try and get a bullpen arm. Like, that's where those conversations start to come in, in my opinion. And I think we agree. We both agree on that one to where there should be another guy that's in the conversation for that rotation going into spring training next year. And one of those names that I just mentioned, or maybe it's another one that you could get for less than that money. The problem is going to be, if you're looking at Thompson as somebody who could be in the rotation for you, how are you going to sway one of these free agents to come here? Because that was their issue last year. Them saying like there were guys that we targeted that weren't interested because the roles weren't there for them. Like it was elsewhere. And if I'm the Cardinals, I don't know if I have designated roles for a lot of my players so that when I go to free agency, I can try and sway these guys. So we are in agreement. Like Zach Thompson, five, six, however you want to label it. I would view it as a five for how he's pitched. But the only way this is going to happen is that the Cardinals come to the realization that we're going to have to spend more than we typically do. Because otherwise, you're not getting one of these guys. Because if you're spending 8 to $10 million for one of these guys, you're spending it also on the bullpen. And that's probably going to be somewhere between 5 to $10 million. And you've got a one and two that you're searching for, which is going to be somewhere between 40 and $60 million. Yeah. And, and All you, that adds up to the Cardinals not having that money. Yeah. And, and you mentioned, too, you know, reason they couldn't at least say claim they couldn't get someone this past obviously is they didn't have the role and i do think that is that is very true is 
you looked at the rotation going into this spring and it was okay there's clearly five guys do i really want to take money to go be a six quintana was probably the guy they were targeting or i can guarantee myself that i've got a spot in a five-man rotation with the new york mets and that's what he ultimately decided to do with zach thompson you can say go to a free agent after you sign your top two and say to them hey here's our role for you we want you as the number five well don't you have zach thompson well he can be in the bullpen or go down to the minor leagues to start the season and that's why that, that's why they're in the perfect spot, in my opinion, to sign the three guys is because they have that flexibility with Zach Thompson. Still, it's not like having a number five that is signed to a major league contract. Yeah, he's Tanner Hendrickson, Bradford Bruns in with us today. I'm Alex Ferrario. Cardinals will be back in action later on this afternoon to wrap up that series against the Milwaukee Brewers. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we've got NFL quick hitters to get into Thursday night football tonight. We got blues hockey tonight as well. So Joe Vitale is joining us in 15 minutes, but NFL quick hitters come your way next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. All right, week number week number four in the NFL starts up tonight with a little Thursday night football action. You got the Packers and Lions. You won't hear that tonight because you will here, Blues and Blackhawks. That's right, right, Mike Ryder. Blues, Blackhawks, Bedardomania coming to a radio station better, near you. Better game than the football game. Absolutely. By the way, Chicago's got a, a stacked lineup for this one. We'll talk to Joey V about that coming up in about 10 minutes or so. Stacked relative to well, Blackhawks yeah, standards. Yeah, stacked <laughs> for a preseason game for the Chicago Blackhawks. So good amendment that you put in there, T-Bone. But let's get into some NFL quick hitters alongside Bradford Bruns and Tanner Hendrickson. and am Alex Ferrario. Which teams through three weeks have swayed your opinion to the other side? Because there are some teams that we all were super high on or super negative about in three weeks, which team has swayed your decision, T-Bone? I, I think the number one team probably for me is a team we're going to see play tonight, and that's not the Lions, that's the Packers. What? The Packers? Yeah, I, I've been really impressed with Jordan Love early on this year. I, I think he's been a lot better than I was expecting. I thought he would look kind of lost like Zach Wilson out there, pulling a Wilson, and he's not. He's been buzzed. He's been pretty good so far this year. So I would say the Packers. And I was kind of skeptical on whether or not I should buy into them coming into the year. And I'm I'm in. I don't think they're winning the division still because I think the Lions are still the team to beat in the NFC North. But I would say they're definitely one for me. The other one for me would probably be the Saints. I know Carr's dealing with an injury now. The offense has kind of sputtered early on, but now that they're getting Kamara back. He's going to be back this weekend. And when Carr gets healthy again from this shoulder issue. Their defense is really good. I think New Orleans has really kind of changed my opinion. I thought they were the best in the South, but that didn't really say much coming into the season. And Tanner, you're pretty spot on with the Packers point, I believe, too, because you think about the success Jordan Love has actually experienced so far this season, and that has come even without his full arsenal of receivers. Yeah. Christian Watson getting back into the mix tonight, leaned a lot on that dual threat running game with Jones and Dylan there, but this is a team that is still searching for the offensive continuity and trying to figure out who are going to be the consistent downfield options on more of a soft play note. Now, granted, at the end of the season, I don't think we're under any delusions here that the Arizona Arizona Cardinals are going to be competing in the NFC West, but the rate at which they have competed thus far under Jonathan Gannon. Did anyone honestly think through three weeks, guys, we'd even be talking about a competitive squad? And that has been the case thus far, at least I know early in the desert. Yeah, no, I uh, I picked up Kyler Murray yesterday on Ooh. waivers because I said, well, hell, they're playing well with Josh Dobbs. When he comes back, this should be a QB one. Um, but no, they are surprising to me. I'll give you one on the negative side. Uh, Baltimore. 
I, really? At the beginning of the season, I said Baltimore is a team that's probably going to be in the Super Bowl. After three weeks, I don't buy it. And it's weird to say because they've put up 71 points. Their defense has been decent, but their offense does not give me the vibes that they're a contender in the AFC. Like their offense to me, I think Kansas City's offense is better than Baltimore's offense. And that's only been with Travis Kelsey playing in what? One game for Casey, two games for Casey. Baltimore has changed my opinion. Frankly, I wonder if Cleveland outplays Baltimore at the end of the season and Baltimore sitting in second place with Cleveland sitting in first. I could not disagree with you more on the Baltimore Ravens. They just they don't have the explosive offense that I thought they were going to have. I think the offense is coming. I think it is early on and they've scored 29 against the Texans, 27 against the Bengals. And though they struggled against the Colts. I mean, I think the Bengals are a pretty good team, and they beat them on the road 27-24. Like, have you seen the Bengals play this season? I have, <laughs> and I understand that they are not living up to early expectations, but they are still a Super Bowl contender. I, and I'd have them I understand like the Texans. Buffalo, Kansas City, and Miami of a Super Bowl contenders in the AFC. I think that's fair, but I think Baltimore's a really good team still. And the other caveat that I think needs to be thrown onto the Baltimore Ravens here we're three weeks in, and as they start to really start get this unit together, we've talked about it. It takes about four or five weeks before you can really start judging the NFL season. I think the Ravens are a team that is just kind of sputtering along, and then about week four, five, after their two games on the road here against Cleveland and Pittsburgh, they'll take off. Well, I think when they play Cleveland, you're going to get a better idea of believing what I'm saying rather than what you're saying. And you're going to need ample time for Lamar Jackson to settle in with that system. Now you lost the one home run hitter they had in the running game in J.K. Dobbins, but that was the case last season as well. So you basically roll with the same individuals in Edwards and Hill. What's the difference this year? Hopefully, if you're a Ravens supporter, you have a healthy Mark Andrews for 17 games and also Zay Flowers. Don't discount the added dimension you could get from him, especially yeah. in the second half. It feels as if a team that's definitely going to peak as the season progresses. They're a trash team. Everybody get on board with it. Now, when they beat <laughs> Cleveland this weekend, you're going to regret okay. saying that. Let's talk about more pressure for the quarterback position. Who's under the most pressure as a QB going into week four? Well, I'll, I- I'll start this one because I have one already under Dak Prescott. It seemed really? be just because the first game was won solely off of defense. Dak played an incredible game in week two and week three. He, they lost that game, right? No, yeah, they, they lost Arizona. Yeah, he lost that game. He lost that game. You threw an interception in the end zone. What could have been the lead? That was Dak Dacking. So I'd say Dak Prescott's got the most pressure because um, you've got, who's their matchup this week? You've got got, New England, and New England is not an easy defense to play against. Dak's going to be my QB under a lot of pressure. See, the one for me, I actually didn't even think of that one, but I I think it's fair to put him under pressure. I think the guy that I think is under the most pressure, because I think he could be benched if he continues to play poorly, they're trying Tannehill. Of the three weeks for the Tennessee Titans, he's been bad, and they're really bad. Not just bad, awful in their two losses this season. And it was no difference against Cleveland. And look, Cleveland's got a really good defense. I'm not discounting that. But 13 and 25 for 104 yards, and you've got to be the difference maker because Derrick Henry's held to 20 yards rushing. Ryan Tannehill's in danger, I think, of his job because they've got Malik Willis, though I don't think they're high on him, but they've also got Will Levis there. And they've spent back-to-back years draft picks on quarterbacks to sit behind Ryan Tannehill. I think he's the guy under the most pressure coming into week number four, and they're going to be taking on a team in which – when you look at Ryan Tannehill, I would say 
you need to go out there. You need to perform. And it's against the Cincinnati Bengals when they take them on. And that's a team that we just talked about has underachieved defensively. I think they're decent. But if Tannehill gets shut down again, we'll see if we start to hear more conversations about them discussing a quarterback change. It's a nice play there. Going to the NFC South, because of the way that the roster is constructed, I wouldn't necessarily say that Desmond Ritter is in trouble. But I was going to bring up. Atlanta team, honestly, considering the competition in play there, the fact that you do have a great roster surrounding him at 2-1, and one, this team could make waves if it had competent quarterback play to go along with Bijan Robinson. Now, kind of on the flip side, guys, or a little bit taking a different angle here, you have have the Minnesota Vikings at 0-3. You have potentially a lot of teams eyeballing Kirk Cousins as far as the market value there. Can he, can that team overall fight, figure out a way to basically just hang on to the football and value more possessions? Because if so, he can really raise that stock as you get closer to the second half of the season. Jets notwithstanding, somebody else could make a play for him on the trade market. Yeah, Jets, uh, BK has been saying Justin Fields is the one the Jets need to target. Kirk Cousins is one of them. I'd be targeting somebody in Zach Wilson's like on the way out right now Desmond Ritter was the one I was going to ask it's hard to say it because you're a two and one team that I don't know if a lot of people had high expectations for but you got to start throwing the ball and if you're Arthur Smith you got to think if he's not going to throw it we got to find a quarterback who's willing to do that yeah I, I think he's a good one to put under some pressure because I I read an article this morning about him I think it was uh, Bill Barnwell that had it on ESPN.com where it's evidently clear that they are kind of running this offense around being afraid to let Desmond Ritter yeah, kind of they're throw just the running the ball and it makes sense when you've got Bijan Robinson and Tyler Algier but the problem is you also have Drake London and Kyle yeah. Pitts and this is why like as much as BK loved the Falcons coming into the year and look look they can run the football yeah. with Bijan Robinson they're going to be a great running team and that's their identity I'm never scared of a team that's running the football why because if I get the lead on you is your quarterback going to take you down the length of the field in the two minute draw win a football game Desmond Ritter does not strike fear into me that's why like I'm not high on Desmond Ritter and the uh, Atlanta Falcons. It's why I'm not high on Sam Howell and the Washington Commanders. I just don't think those quarterbacks, when you look at them, Zach Wilson will fall into this category too, where it is, hey, if you're trailing by, say, six, two minutes to go, can your quarterback take you 70 yards down the field? I don't think Ritter can. And that's why I, I do like the idea of putting him in this conversation. Again, Thursday night football tonight. You got the Packers and the Lions. Both teams sitting at two and one tied for first in their division. It's not here on 101 ESPN, but we do have Blues and Blackhawks starting at 730 with puck drop. I've got first community credit union pregame at 630. And we're going to discuss Blues and Blackhawks and the beginnings of preseason and training camp with Joe Vitale, our Blues analyst. He comes your way in three minutes here on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Joey Vitale views things a little differently. Just imagine how he looks at hockey. This is The View from Vitale, brought to you by Scott Lee Heating Company, a proud Mitsubishi Electric Elite contractor. Uh, the view for from Vitaly for Blues and Blackhawks tonight. Our guy Joey V is joining us now on our Air Comfort Service phone line. Joey V, what's mowing on, my man? Joey, Joey, Joey. That was the worst intro ever, Joe, because typically BK does it, so I get to chant your name, so that was my mistake. It's okay. Hey, that's how we get better, Alex. Hang in there, Bob. Be, be, be kind to yourself. I, I didn't think it was that bad. 
Okay, I appreciate it. What's going on, Joey? Are you ready for the first road trip of the season? First roadie? I'm not. My wife is. My wife is. <laughs> Kids are, too. They said this is an opportunity. Dad's gone. Let's run. They have the complete false sense of reality. Like, what do you mean you're not going to be here today? I was like, well, kids, I, I, you know, I, I got to go back to work. Like, well, what do you mean? Like, well, I got to travel. I, 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 this house, these, this food you're eating, uh, the school, you got, they all cost money. Like, well, what do you mean you're not going to be for my game tonight? So, yeah, all, all's good. It is a little bit of a transition when you go from summer mode to, to season mode, but they will get used to it. We all get used to it. Absolutely. And, Joe, this one's going to be – I'm looking forward to this one, and you and I will break it down more on our uh, first community pregame show at 630 tonight. But, uh, I mean, you look at – this is really the first preseason action competition, I would say, the Blues have gone up against just in terms of guys who have that NHL-ready uh, and NHL experience under their belt. Taylor Hall, Corey Perry, all of these guys in the lineup, Connor Bedard playing in this one, Peter Murray, Zach, the starter for the Chicago Blackhawks. This is real competition for the Blues in preseason game number four. Yes, it is. You know, I think for some of the rookies that had seen Connor Bedard in the rookie camp, uh, certainly got an early taste. But I think for players like Robert Thomas and Butch Navis, they're going to see what, what Bedard's about, you know, firsthand and, and in live action, live fire. You mentioned Corey Perry, a veteran in, the, in their lineup. Taylor Hall, I think we're going to see probably Ryan Donato on that hall and Connor Bedard top line. Uh, Seth Jones, a proven defenseman, is going to be on the backside. This is going to be a good test. It's going to be a good early test uh, for this team who uh, were right about right at the hump, I would say, of, of preseason. So uh, to no surprise, I think Chicago is looking to get Connor Bedard as comfortable as possible, get him in as many home games certainly as possible. Uh, so it's going to be really fun to see. I know I'm certainly excited to call and kind of see Connor Bedard firsthand. You know, one thing fans have talked a lot about, and, you know, it'll probably be on showcase tonight with Connor is, is his shot, you know, learning more and more about his shot and, and how he gets it off and, uh, the quickness he, he delivers it from and how he can shoot it in all areas. Uh, certainly him and Taylor Hall have had some great chemistry early on in preseason. So uh, without question for Robert Thomas and Pavel Buchnevich and, and some of these NHL regulars for the St. Louis Blues, it's going to be a good test tonight. Yeah, and a good test for Scott Brunovich, who's going to be paired up with Colton Preko, it looks like tonight. It'll be his third preseason game. Joey, what have you made of Scott Brunovich so far throughout camp and in the preseason? You know, I think that it's been, uh, I think it's been preseason for him. And what I mean by that is there's been some bumps and there's been some ups. I think that this is how it is for a younger player, especially when you deal with as many injuries as Scott Prunovich uh, has dealt with. This is why they're trying to get him in as many games as possible, and that's a good thing because they see him in the starting rotation come opening night there in Dallas. So they're trying to get all the cobwebs worked out. They realize it's not only a young kid, but a kid who has dealt with a lot of injuries, serious injuries too. So get him as many reps as possible because he will be there, I think, come opening night. Uh, what do I think of his camp up to this point? I think we've seen probably next to, I would say, Nick Ritchie. Maybe this is the most we've seen of any player up to this point has been Scott Prunovich. And, again, I think it's been a great opportunity for him. I think he's had some really, really great bright moments. And I think he's had some moments where uh, you can tell he, he is coming back from injury and it's been a long off season. There was one play – Last game, I commented on at the end of the second period, about six, seven seconds remaining in the period. He had the puck at the point. He had his head up. It looked like he was loaded, ready to shoot, and he dusted it off to make one last pass. Unfortunately, the puck didn't get to the net, and you can see Craig Berube a little bit frustrated on the bench about uh, just having a little bit more urgency about getting pucks to the net. So little things like that. I think he's made a little bit some errors here and there when it comes to getting pucks to the net, maybe making one too many passes. 
Uh, I think the power play hasn't gone as swiftly as he would he would love for it to go. Uh, keep in mind, a lot of different personnel. I mean, he's getting used to all these players. Kevin Hayes getting used to all these different players. So plenty of reason uh, to make the excuse of why it's not going great on the power play. But I know one thing for Scott, he's definitely looking to try to get into some sort of rhythm play, whether it be with Robert Thomas and Boots Davids. Uh, Joe, we still got you, buddy. Up, there's been some downs. Oh, there you go. Sorry, buddy. I didn't mean to cut you off. We lost you there for a second, so but we got you back. Um, you, you mentioned that shot and shooting opportunity for Scott Pernovich, and we talked about this on postgame the other night, uh, but we're going to get into this a little bit later, and I am curious from a player's perspective. You know, Berube likes to focus on making sure that the shots are quality, but for a team that is also focusing heavily on getting guys to the front of the net more and looking for those deflections, looking for those rebound scoring chances, is that going to be an area of emphasis on this team this year to make Maybe in the past, look for that ideal pass. This season might be more of just get it on net if we've got bodies swarming. You know, it's it's a good question, Alex, and I don't have the answer to that right now. I know in the past it has been, you know, quality over quantity. You know, you look at the last two periods of last preseason game, there weren't a ton of shots at the net. I think Craig Berube certainly would like more than he saw there, but at the same time, I think that this is a head coach that, would rather have a player look for a better opportunity, hold on to the puck, instead of just throwing something from the boards to the point that's going to be an easy save for a whistle. Uh, but like you said, at the same time, I think at some point you have to throw more pucks to the net. And I think that for defensemen and forwards alike, I remember being on the outside and get, getting your head up and seeing the net. If you saw a body or two in and around the cage, if it's Peter Morazic tonight, you feel more comfortable about throwing a puck there versus, let's say, you know, you're on the outside and all you see is defenders and then you see the other team's goalie in front. Then you may want to hold on to a little bit more. So it kind of begs the question, yeah, you'd like to see more pucks than that, but I think the first step is getting players to the inside. This was an issue last year pretty consistently where they didn't have enough toughness, I would say, didn't have enough bodies, you didn't have enough presence in front of the other team's net. And I think if you can do that, that's step one. That's going to give the green light, I think, to the defensemen and the forwards on the perimeter more to throw pucks there. And Joey, is that what they're looking for from younger guys like Bolduc to take that next step is getting to the inside? Same for Jake Neighbors to get to that spot. Is that the way for those guys, if they are going to break camp with the team, is just to make sure they go and park themselves in front of the net? I mean, it's a, it's a good question. You know, it's not the easiest thing to do. You know, it's a lot easier said than done. When you go there, you know, there, there's a price to pay. What do I mean by that? If you try to get to the inside and try to get in front of the net, I mean, tonight, Connor Murphy, defenseman, he's a big body. He's expected a cross-check, expect a flash behind the legs. Peter Moraz is going to be poking you. Uh, every team is consistently wanting to make it very uncomfortable if you want to park your, your butt on top of the blue paint in front of their net. Uh, with forwards knowing that, yes, uh, the, 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 uh, the, the plan is to get there, but getting there, it, it comes at a price. A lot of older players, especially this time of the year, don't want to get the knickknack injuries and get beat up on so soon in the season because it's a long season. But absolutely, if you're if you're Zachary Bulduke, you know if you're Jake Neighbors, uh, you know if, if you're if you're some of these younger players that are looking to to stand out in Craig Berube and Doug Armstrong's mind, you know one of the very controllable things to do in the offensive zone is kind of break through that that opening layer in front of the other team's net and just kind of stand there and just kind of sit there. I think Nick Ritchie's done a pretty good job of it so far in camp. Uh, we saw he had a great assist, although it was on the power play, had a great assist the other night on the Oscar Sundquist goal at the goal line. He took it hard to the net. I think more plays like that, uh, you don't have to be the biggest guy, the strongest, or the most 
uh, bravest player in the world to do it. It's just about just kind of burying your head and just getting there and getting to that inside. And I think if the Blues could do that, they're going to find much more success. And again, at the end of the day, you, you want to give these defensemen the green light to throw more pucks there, but they're not going to do it if bodies aren't present. Joe, you talk about a massive opportunity, and you and I will get into this a little bit later on tonight, but, man, Jake Neighbors, of course, Jordan Kyrie dealing with this lower body injury that Barubi said isn't anything serious. He's just not playing tonight. Neighbors playing with Thomas and Buchnevich. This is a guy that we've talked about for the last couple of days of just kind of figuring out where he fits in because you wonder if he's a fourth liner. Could he get to the third line? Does he start in the AHL? Boy, this is a big night for Jake Neighbors playing with Thomas and Booch against Bedard in Chicago. Well, you don't you don't have any excuses tonight to not be productive and to not hold on to the puck and to not generate scoring chances. You know, in the past, you know, if he's playing on a third line, let's say with a Torvchenko and, and a Kevin Hayes, you know, then maybe you have a little bit of an excuse. You know, you're playing with some maybe it's called bottom six players. Today he's playing with two of the best forwards, you know, I think definitely for the Blues and, and maybe in the game tonight when you look at Thomas and Buchnevich. So there really isn't any excuse for Jake Neighbors to not generate and, uh, you know, get on the score sheet. Uh, so that's where the pressure's at. You know, for Jake Neighbors, I think he is probably the number one forward that they just do not know what to do with. Not in the sense where he doesn't belong here. I think he belongs in St. Louis. I think he will start the year in St. Louis. And I, and I can see him maybe not even going down to the American League at all. But it's just where do you put him? Uh, the good thing for Jake is I think he's done a lot of good for himself where you can put him in any situation and you know he's going to be just fine there. I think if he starts on the fourth line, he knows what he needs to bring. We saw him last year be physical. He got in multiple fights last year as well. He can play a tough brand of hockey. Uh, but at the same time, he's got a lot of he's got a lot of skills. He's got a lot of skills in his toolbox where you know if you put him up with some bigger players, he would do just fine there too. Uh, but I, I would say he is the swing player. He's the player that they don't know exactly where to put just yet, which is the bad thing. But the good thing is you know you can put him wherever, and he's going to do just fine in that role. So uh, without a doubt, Alex, uh, you're, you're bang on. I think he is the player that I certainly have circled one of the three or four players I've circled in tonight's game uh, to really keep an eye on. Well, we'll talk about him. We'll talk about Perunovic and much more tonight on our first community pregame show. Joey and I got you taken care of at 630, and then Joe and Curbs have puck drop against Connor Bedard and the Blackhawks at 730. Have a fun trip, my man, and we'll talk to you down the line this evening. Sounds good, Alex. We'll talk to you guys here tonight. There you go. That's the view from Vitaly here on uh, BK and Ferrari on 101 ESPN. And uh, Jake Neighbors, I mean, once again, uh, it's a focal point and it seems odd to say because it does feel like he's making this team no matter what, but with so many guys and so many guys that have been willing to take the puck to the net, Sunquist, Nick Ritchie, Toropchenko, that's going to be the emphasis. If you're these fringe players that want to make the team like Jake neighbors, like Nathan Walker, like Mackenzie McEachern, like Zachary Bolduc, Zachary Dean, you already see what stands out to the coaching staff? I mean, Nick Ritchie's playing again tonight. That's three straight games that Nick Ritchie's played in. Perunovic, three straight games. That tells you everything you need to know if you're trying to make an emphasis on this Blues team. Yeah, and that's why I asked him, is that the way to kind of get to what the coaching staff is looking for is getting to the front of the net? And that's what we've talked about, and that's what they've made evidently clear as we heard the comments from Craig Bruby about Zachary Bolduc. What's he got to do? He's got to get to the inside. Neighbor's going to be kind of that guy on that top line tonight with Booch and Thomas. Those are kind of your playmakers, and your hope would be that Neighbors is the guy that's going to go park himself in front of the net, kind of what they're hoping Cairo, maybe not so much park himself in front of the net, but to get a little bit more inside uh, this season. But, yeah, I mean, you asked, and Joey said it perfectly, he is kind of the swing player right now for the Blues. I don't think they necessarily know 
what they have in Jake Neighbors because he had prospect kind of status. So I don't know if they view him as a guy that is, can he be a 10, 15 goal scorer down, down the road with us? Or is he a guy that's just going to be kind of a fourth liner? I don't think they really know what they have in him yet. And it is a big opportunity for him tonight playing on that top line. Yeah, well, we've got that coverage starting again at 630. We'll talk more blues at the top of the hour. But coming up next, questions and answers. You send us your questions, 314-399-9646. Air Comfort Service text line. We'll answer them next here on 101 ESPN. All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world, and the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms, and you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. 314-399-9646. That is our Air Comfort Service text line. It is time for questions and answers here on BK and Ferrario. No BK today. He'll be back with us tomorrow. Bradford Bruns, Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Alex Ferrario. BK is just prepping for his final week of not getting a contraction stimulator stuck to yeah. his abdomen next week. Because he's listening. We know he pretty much. Yeah, he's listening because he's giving me tips on how to to uh, host while he's gone. Yeah, good old BK for you, right? I wasn't going to go as far as oh, what he was texting us, but... He knows I love him. He knows listening. I love him. He's always listening. He What's up, Brandon? He and... What's up, brah? Okay, let's do this one. From the 314, guys, did you see the buzz of potentially Jonathan Taylor being traded to the Cleveland Browns? I did, and it's interesting. I don't. I still don't think he's going to get dealt. Um, I, I wouldn't. If I'm the Colts, I wouldn't. Well, if I don't know if it's so much Colts they wouldn't. It's just I don't know who's going to give up the assets yeah. they acquire him like they're asking for like a second round pick for jonathan taylor and train for an injured guy and right now you know what makes things a lot easier for the colts the way that zach moss is running the football you can afford to slow play it at this yeah. juncture now what could a guy like taylor potentially given the health do for a threat such as the browns i don't think anyone in here is sold on deshaun watson at the controls of that offense amari cooper aside so could it change the complexion of that division particularly if baltimore doesn't really get up to snuff in the second half maybe but for right now there isn't any reason for indianapolis to really accelerate this process yeah and i the other thing too is like i'm actually high on ford running the ball in cleveland now is he nick chubb no but is he good enough better than kareem hunt yeah i think he could be good enough to where you don't have to give up a second round pick so i think we're going to see jonathan taylor and his awkward relationship with the colts continue to play into the season i think he's whenever he gets activated i expect he's going to be playing for indianapolis it's two sides of it and both sides i wouldn't budge like if i'm the colts i'm not going to trade you unless i get what i want but if i'm another team i'm not going to give you what you want because jonathan taylor's not playing for you so either he sits or you're gonna have to accept what somebody's giving you so that's the situation that you're in right now and you're right cleveland has obviously shown the ability to win you're not going to go very far without jonathan or uh, nick chubb but I, i I like Ford. I think he's been fine, and I think you're going after Jonathan Taylor. You could make that trade. He gets injured in the first week, and now you're right back to square one. Uh, From the 636, fellas, fantasy football question, do I play Christian Watson tonight? Uh, You, 636, are uh, living my life right now because I'm deciding if I should play Christian Watson. Uh, Hamstrings are always a little concerning for me, especially if you're Green Bay. You're not going to throw him out there like 
W uh, like wide receiver one when you've got your other two dudes who are playing well. Yeah, I uh, if you have better options, it just depends on what you have. If you have a, just running backs or just kind of wide receivers that are kind of boom or bust, then yeah, I would say probably play Christian Watson. But if you have a better option, um, then I would recommend putting him on the bench just for a week just to see how he's doing with the hamstring. Hamstrings always scare me with wide receivers when they come back because you don't know. They will tell you that he is healthy, but I just don't know how much I would grade in or read into that. And it's one thing if it's DeAndre Hopkins coming back where you need them. And if you're Green Bay, like, yeah, you want Christian Watson back. But is Aaron Jones playing in this one tonight? I haven't seen the reports on that. If Jones is playing and you've got Reed and you've got Dobbs, They've got their options right now, so they can slow play Christian Watson a little bit more into yeah. this game. Three words, limited snap count this evening. And if you are Green Bay anyway, you want to limit Detroit's time of possession. You do that by running Jones, Dylan consistently and then working Watson in rotationally. Yeah. Uh, from the 314 guys, Jake Neighbors, you just talked about him. Could he become a Swiss Army knife uh, like Alexander Steen did for the Blues? This is a good comp and... I forgot who asked it, if it was JR or if it was Lou, but they asked Craig Berube about Jake Neighbors, and Berube was very adamant about the style of Jake Neighbors is, and they said, do you have a role for him? And Berube said, well, yeah, his role is he can move wherever we need him to. He can be a top-line winger for us. He could be a bottom-line winger for us. He plays physical. He can score goals. Like, they view him that way, which is why I would lean more towards the side of not sending him to the AHL because you're going to have to get him to develop at the NHL at some point. You've seen he can produce in the AHL as a top winger. Now you've got to let him figure out how to thrive in the NHL. The hard part of comparing it to Alexander Steen is Alexander Steen was a first-line winger who scored goals that became a Swiss Army knife. Jake Jake Neighbors might just be a Swiss Army knife. Like That's the difference in this conversation. Yeah, I think... Jake Neighbors has the potential to get to this point where he can be a fourth liner that can maybe play up or is a third liner that will play down if needed on the fourth line. I don't think he's there yet, but can he get there? Sure. I, I think the guy that's probably the Swiss Army knife for the Blues this year is Sammy Blay. I think Blay's going to be that role think, this year. I think they've got like four Swiss Army knives. I think Blay's that. I think Neighbors can be that. I think Torpchenko can be that. And frankly, Sonny can be that. I mean, your fourth line... And I mean, I didn't even throw Nick Ritchie into this. Nick Ritchie has been a top nine winger before. Your fourth line is full of Swiss Army knives. And part of me wonders if that's what the Blues are trying to accomplish this offseason. If Verona doesn't stay healthy or perform, if Kapanen doesn't perform, if Blay doesn't perform, if Saad doesn't perform, well, okay, we got Sonny. All right, we got Ritchie. We got neighbors. Like, they've got a lot of dudes that can interchange in your lineup rather than last year where... Your top six were your top six. Your bottom six, if they played in your top six, i.e. Josh Levo, you were wondering what the hell's going on right now. See, I think if they get to a point where they have to go, whether whatever it is, Verona's hurt or Verona's not playing well, and they've got to say, let's push neighbors up into the top six or let's push Richie into the top nine, um, I think they're not a playoff team because the guys that they needed to perform didn't perform. And I don't, though those guys can do that role, like, I want those guys, like, in that role for, like, three games, if that, and they need to be on the fourth line. Yeah, and Alex, correct me if I'm wrong, but given what we saw from Blay last season and then in the offseason as well in the world stage, the evolution of his game, you would hope that the progression is there, that you become basically a plus-plus Swiss Army knife, that you continue to see that progression, and he evolves into more of a player than just that designation. And, and that's why it might benefit him more, and Curb said this yesterday, to Bradford, your point, it might benefit 
benefit you more if you're Jake Neighbors and the Blues in terms of his development to keep him at the NHL level. Because again, he played at the AHL last year, was a top winger for him, and he produced. It wasn't like earth shattering, but he produced. Now you're going to have to have Jake Neighbors figure out how to be a third line player one night, a first line player another night, and then a fourth line player that third night. Welcome to the NHL and role players. And Craig Berube seems to have a lot of faith in him, loves the kid. Tonight's that next opportunity. He's been a third line player already in preseason. Now you get to be a top line player to go up against Connor Bedard and Taylor Hall. Welcome to figuring out if you can handle defensively and hold your own offensively against this team. Tanner Hendrickson, Bradford Bruns, I'm Alex Ferrari. Appreciate all of your text messages. We've got, believe it or not, everybody's favorite Thursday segment coming up in about 15 minutes but coming up next we'll continue the blues conversation because curb said something yesterday about the mentality offensively from the blues and what it's been the last couple of years and i believe it's gonna have to change more effectively if this team wants to have success we'll discuss next here on 101 espm we're right back to the pk and ferrario podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn there is nothing new about this approach to Craig Berube's coaching and the style that he thinks that it takes to win. Get to the dirty areas, get to the front of the net. If your forwards are getting to the front of the net, and so far through the three preseason games, the majority of the goals you've seen scored have been those kind of grinded out down low type of goals. You've got to get the shots there. To get the shots there, the defensemen have to funnel the puck to the front of the net. And that's going to be the area that is of main focus for the rest of this preseason and frankly for the entirety of the season if the Blues want to be successful. Alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Bradford Bruns, I'm Alex Ferrario. Uh, Chris Kerber, of course, Force the Blues, was on with us yesterday. You can check it out on our podcast page, 101ESPN.com, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. And Kerbs is correct. The mentality has always been from Craig Ruby from 2018 when he stepped into that locker room until today. It's been go to the front of the net, Park yourself there and find a way to get those rebound chances. That's how he wants his players to score goals. And frankly, that team in 2019, it was made of it from top to bottom. I mean, you're talking about Ryan O'Reilly at the top of that list all the way down to Ivan Barbashev. Those guys went to the front of the net. Then it evolved, and it evolved because the roster evolved. The next season, you started to see some of those guys fade away. The next season, you started to see Thomas and Cairo implemented a lot more. The next season, Buchnevich comes, and now we come to a season where you've got that youth, but they've also instilled the big bodies. And we've talked about the physicality, T-Bone, but what Curb said there at the end is what has to change this season. So I went back and looked in this. I pulled my uh, best BK impression last night, looking at the shots on goal in terms of production. So 2018, the Blues ranked 15th in the NHL, averaged about 31.6 shots on goal per game, middle of the pack. 2019, they dropped to 21st, 30.7. 2020, 2021, 29.2, 22nd. The uptick was that 2021 season where they had the 920 goal scores. They were 18th at 30.4 shots per game. This past season, they were 27th in the NHL. They averaged 28.5. Here's the problem, though, and why it feels like the Blues are always searching for that pass, because I feel like what has happened in the past to St. Louis is they're always scoring. So they they figure if they just pass up the opportunities to shoot, well, they'll get their best opportunity, and it's the shooting percentage. Listen to this. Last season, they were fifth in the NHL with shooting percentage. It was 11%, fifth best in the NHL. The year prior, 12.4%, first 
top in the NHL. Then the years prior, it was ninth, 10th, and 16th. These last two years, I feel like, gives the Blues a false security of if we if we wait for our best opportunity to shoot, we'll score. Whereas this team's got to take the mindset, especially if you've got bodies going to the front that are parking themselves there looking for those, those rebound chances, you're going to have to see an accelerant of shots from the blue line, putting pucks on net so that those second and third chances are there. This team, to be successful offensively, I'd like to see them in the top 10 of shots per game in the NHL. Yeah, and I think you're right. I think they were clearly a quality over quantity team, and I think that's okay at a certain point. But now that you had the year that they had, and now that they don't have 920 goal scorers, they're going to have to be a team that is going to funnel the puck to the net. And if you're a team that is going to continue to say, hey, where do we want to be? We want to get somebody that's on the doorstep. We want to have someone that's just in the face of the goalkeeper. Like, that's what Oscar Sundquist has done. Nick Ritchie's going to do that. That's what they want to see from Zachary Bolduc is the guy that's going to get more on the inside. What 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 do you need to do to ha- have more success and be scoring goals with those guys in front of the net? Got to put the puck on the net. You got to have more rebound opportunities because it's one thing to go to the front of the net. It's another to have an opportunity to be able to score a goal there because your teammates are putting the puck on net, creating havoc in front there. So I, I think it is something that you're right. They're probably going to have to be around top 10, I would say, if they're going to be putting pucks on net because you're not going to be scoring goals off of rebounds if you're not shooting the puck on net. And that's that's the whole thing of like, okay, it's one thing to go put yourself, park yourself in front of the net, but if the puck's not being put on net a lot, you're not creating that havoc. And last year they were last in rebound chances, and that's something that's going to have to change this year. When you look at the top five in goals scored last season, Florida, Toronto, or I'm sorry, this is the 2021 season. Let me let me update my, my stats. Uh, Edmonton, Boston, Buffalo, Seattle, New Jersey. Here's what those teams averaged in terms of shots on goal per game. 33.6. 33, 32.5, 30.5, 34.4, 36.8. And specifically when you're looking at defensemen of those teams that I just mentioned, and I'll throw in Carolina uh, also because they were a team that, that had significant amount of shots from this group. Of their defensemen, four of their group, and there's like eight or nine of them on a lot of these because they use so many defensemen, but of their, their six to eight, four defensemen had a hundred or more shots on goal in the season, whereas the blues had two. And that's where I'm looking at this. And look, the mindset of this team is offense. Perunovic, Krug, Falk, Letty, Pareko, all of these guys have the offensive ability to score 10 or more goals in a season. And that's going to come from picking up the opportunities that are in front of you, power play time. And the reference that Joe made uh, to that game the other night was Scott Perunovic, where, again, this is preseason. This is what happens. But he had the puck at the blue line, two guys standing in front of the net, and he hesitated and didn't get the shot off. And I understand because some of the time it's because you you shoot it, it goes off the shins, it's blocked, and it's coming down the other way as an odd man rush. So you have to be aware of that. You don't just want to willy-nilly throw pucks in the net because that's how odd man rushes happen. But the moment that you feel like you can get that puck to the net, it's what Adam Fox, it's what Quinn Hughes, it's what Kale McCarr does so best – that's your opportunity to pounce because you put it in front of that turmoil and 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 uh, havoc in front of the goaltender. 
That's going to be when you've got Richie and you've got Hayes and you've got Sonny and you've got Torbchenko and Blay and Neighbors. That's where are going to be the inside opportunities are going to be. That's how you get back to have a 920 or more goal scores. Yeah, and I think you're right about the defenseman going to have to start putting the puck on net. And you heard Kerb say that in the cut, funnel the puck more towards the net. And I think part of the reason that it felt like the defense offensively was down last year was because Krug missed so much time. And I think with if Krug has a healthy season – He's a big part of this offense showing up a little bit more because he'll be the guy that's kind of the driver on the power play. Him and Falk are a good offensive pairing when they get those offensive zone starts. But you're right. With those guys in front of the net, the goal needs to be for the defense to get as many shots on goal as possible. And that, and we'll see if they end up doing that because you're right. You don't want them to get to the point where it is just, okay, I've got the puck on my stick. Let me just shoot this towards net because you have to have a shooting lane. If you don't have a shooting lane, you're going to end up in those odd man rushes. You're going to be that, giving up a lot of goals. And, that, and that's where it gets to the point of not just – getting more shots on goal, but also that puck possession game as well. Because what, what was the issue for the Blues last year? Not only was it lack of shots, too. It was odd man rushes the other way. Rushes. And mm-hmm. part of that, too, was whether it be shots that were missing the net, just misplays too much puck movement, and they come back the other way. And this team, at least my expectation is, this team is not good enough defensively to, to allow those kind of opportunities. They can't be allowing those odd man rushes. They can't allow the puck to be coming back quickly because they need to possess the puck, get a ton of shots on goal because they're just not sound defensively. They're that, not a good enough defensive team to play a yeah. defensive style of game. And that's going to benefit your power play when you're doing this. It's going to benefit your rush attempts and your rush chances of skating through the neutral zone and looking for that initial pass. But when you get set up, that's where those shots really can come into play. And, and the other factor into all of this is when you look for that extra pass, those seem to be the moments when loose pucks get stolen and going the opposite direction also because teams trying to get set up, your team's trying to make those plays to go for that perfect one-time opportunity, whereas sometimes the best teams like Colorado does this. Colorado will skate into the zone, put the puck on net, go for the faceoff, and then start their offense from there. The issue with that is going to be winning your faceoff battles, and that's going to be another area that the Blues are going to have to really excel with. And... They could capitalize on it because of the captaincy with Braden Shen, because that's the way in the style that Braden Shen works and operates. And now you've got a captain who can relay that message from the coach to the, to the players. Not that Ryan O'Reilly couldn't. Ryan O'Reilly seemed to try to do it. It's just the players weren't adhering to what the message was. This season, I wonder if it's different when you got a player like Braden Shen, who not only says it, but backs it up. Maybe. We'll see. I, I think... I think what you learned a little bit last and if year. Not that's a bigger problem. Well, I think part of it, what you learned last year, was a little bit of hard headedness to some of the Blues last year, in terms of absolutely. Okay, I'm going to do it my way because this is how I've had success. And I think you saw. And I'm not calling. It, I don't want to mean to call it one player specifically, but we have multiple cases where you saw Berube really getting into it with who Jordan Cairo. Yeah. And I think that's part of the issue that they had last year. So I don't know if it's so much a captaincy thing as much as it is. I think there are some guys, and we've talked about this with the Cardinals, where it was. My way has worked in the past, and I think that's going to happen here at the NHL level. And it takes time to learn. No, that's not the case. And the coaching staff tries to get that out of you. Maybe it's the captain tries to help you get along with that. Ryan O'Reilly tried that last year. Maybe Shen will try that again this year. I, I don't know. I think that was part of the issue there. I don't know if it's so much the captain and the way he plays his game as some of these guys are having to learn on the NHL level. The way I'm doing things isn't working. I've got to adjust my game. Sometimes it's follow the leader, though. And when you see a lot of guys on your roster that are playing that style, it makes you want to play that style. Certain guys just won't. Like Kyrou and Verona, th- their style is off the rush and shooting. 
But if you've got other guys on that line that are willing to do what Barubi and the coaching staff are asking, that's where more offense comes into play. That's where you're spending less time in your defensive zone. And frankly, that's how you become a playoff team. Tanner Hendrickson, Bradford Bruns, I'm Alex Ferrario. Blues in action tonight. They've got the Blackhawks 630 pregame, our first community pregame. And then we've got a 730 puck drop between the Blues and Blackhawks. Coming up in 15 minutes, Michael Waka uh, may have exposed some issues for the Cardinals that we might have already known. We'll discuss that in a bit, but it's Tanner's favorite day of the week. It's Thursday, which means it's time for Believe It or Not here on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Look at what's happened to me. I can't believe it myself. Suddenly I'm up on top of You ready for this, baby? This is this won't be as bad. This won't be as bad as last week. Oh, last week was brutal. We were delayed. Hit it, my man. Believe it or not, I'm walking on air. I never thought I could feel so free. Flying away on a wing and a prayer. Who could it be? Believe it or not, it's just me. There it is. jumping in on that one. Believe it or not, it's a Thursday. Get it? I, believe it or not, it's a Thursday. Yeah. You know what? I can't I believe. over my face I on know. that one. Dude, you were flying everywhere Dude, over intense, there. intense, man. I got into that one. Blues, Blackhawks. Uh, you know what I can't believe? What? I can't believe Brandon Kylie decides to take off a Thursday to skip Believe It or Not. You know what I can't believe? Bradford Bruns just stepped in and said, believe this, boys. I'm jumping in. And... If you're coming better. in, come into play. Boom. Exactly. Coming and he was in. better than Brandon Kylie. Oh, he's much better than Brandon Kylie. So congrats on that one, Bradford. We've kicked uh, BK out of the band, and Bradford can be a part of it. Real, Still TBA, band member. which is great. TBA. Oh, yeah, that's right. Still TBA. Ooh. Sorry, BK. You lose this one. All right. 314-399-9646 is our Air Comfort Service text line. As you can send us your Believe It or Not scenarios, and we'll tell you if we are going to believe it or not believe it. Let's start with this one, fellas. We just talked about the the shots for St. Louis. Believe it or not, the Blues will finish this season top 10 in both special teams categories. Not. Um, I mean, twofold it's, for me. I was going to say, it's not a bold take to say not. I think a lot of people would probably side there. I, I think the PK could be better than it w- or will be better than it was last year. I think that's the unit that I would say if like I had to choose which one's more likely to be it, it would be the PK. See what's wild about that is I'm the other side. Because the reason I'm skeptical on the power plays, I just don't know who the one-time shot is. And it sounds like Vrana, and I, BK mentioned this yesterday on the show, hasn't necessarily been a power play points guy in his career. never been used there. And maybe that's part of it is Blues will utilize him a little bit better more on the like PP, PP1 or PP2. Mm-hmm. Maybe he ends up being the difference maker, but like I just don't know about the power play and who's got that one-time shot because though there are different faces and they are going to park guys in front of the net, we've the, seen it across the NHL. Difference maker on power plays if you got a one-time. I didn't like the sass that you just used on that one. I didn't like it. Park guys in front of the net? Well, I'm, what I'm saying is like you can put them there, but it doesn't matter if you don't net. have a one-time shot and you got to hit the net. Like See, The one-time shot, what makes a power play lethal? Well, McDavid's got a one-time shot. Perron had a one-time yeah. shot. Blue's don't have a one-time shot. I, I I actually think they have one-time shots. It's just how they deploy it and how the power plays mesh. I'm very curious. I think this power play is going to benefit from not having Vladimir Tarasenko on it. And I say that understanding how great of an offensive player Tarasenko was. 
But Tarasenko was a guy that always wanted the puck. And Tarasenko was a guy that never had that one-time shot. You've got one-timer options. Jordan Kyra has a one-timer. Jordan Kyra had a one-time shot the other night in the preseason game from the blue line that went in. So he's got a rifle. Uh, Buchnevich has a one-time shot. Braden Shen has a one-time shot. Verona has the one-time shot. So you've got the guys. It just comes down to the connection on the ice. Penalty kill is the part that worries me because it's not so much that I don't think the penalty kill is going to be good. It's do they have enough personnel to last all season? Because Bortuzzo, Scandella, these guys are going to be very beneficial for your penalty kill for how they block shots. Sonny is back. That's going to help. Torupchenko, you've got um, neighbors that's going to be out getting opportunities on that. My issue is when you get the puck, can you clear it out of the zone and do you stay healthy enough all season? So I would say I'm not going to believe this one because I think the penalty kill is going to fall short. I believe the power play could be top 10 in the NHL by the end of the season. T-Bone, what do you got? Believe it or not, Scott Perunovich will be playing with Colton Pareko at some point this season as the top pairing defensive pairing, if that made sense. Yeah, there's a lot of defensive pairings going yeah. on. Uh, I noticed that. Believe this one. He's playing with him again tonight. It's no coincidence that Scott Pernovich has played in three of the four preseason games. Uh, and it's no coincidence that two of those three he's played with Colton Pareko and the other one he played with Falk when Pareko wasn't in the lineup. Uh, I really, they have not played Letty and Pareko yet together. It's been Perunovic and Pareko every time he's been out there. Now, maybe this is just because they want to see it and they're not going to use Letty an awful lot. They're going to start the season with Nick Letty with Colton Pareko because I don't know where Scott Perunovic falls in this. But at some point this season, Perunovic and Pareko are going to be playing together. And I can't wait to see those two play against Bedard and Hall tonight because they played against the Coyotes C team and they looked great. What do you look like against the speed and skill of Bedard and Hall? So I'm going to believe this one, though. I think that's the pair that they're hoping clicks this season. See, I'm not going to believe it because I just think he's going to spend most of the year in the minors. But I do find it interesting that he's playing with him for the second time in his three games. And it, we're not seeing Letty Pareko again. Letty played with Falk in the last yeah. game. I would say he's played just one game, right? Mm-hmm. He didn't play in the... Oh, no. So he didn't play with Falk. Yeah, Letty played in the... Letty played with Scandella. That's yeah. a third pair right there. Yeah. So I, that is interesting. It was Falk, Perunovic, and Pareko, Perunovic. I think it is one of the... It could just be one of those where it's... Don't read too much into it. It's... We're just trying to get him the most ice time possible. And we are just kind of experimenting with this. Which is Not so is. much for this year, but potentially next year. Um... But I do find it interesting, and that's why I brought up the question. Even though I don't necessarily believe that will be the case, and I think he will spend most of the year in the minors, it's very intriguing to see that he's back with Pareko once again. I uh, I, I really wonder if they're trying to find out what Perunovic and Pareko can do, and then Krug and Falk when Krug's available, and Nick Letty might be a third-pair guy for you. Which isn't a bad thing for Nick Letty. I mean, I think Nick Letty would be one of the better, if not best, third-pair defensemen playing in the NHL, but... It's intriguing that they're going that route. Bradford, what do you think? Let's go to the college gridiron guys, actually, in honor of BK, if we may. So, Mizzou, this week, ranked in both polls for the first time since 2019, feeling a lot of love going up against a pedestrian Vanderbilt team on Saturday. Now, bear in mind, Brady Cook, Luther Burden, likely to have limited practice time this week. I would contend that the absence of Darius Robinson calf injury there could be even more troublesome for the Tigers on Saturday generating that pass rush. Believe it or not though the Tigers are going to fail to cover that number of 13 and a half going up to 14 in Tennessee. Believe it. I'm you're, just, you're the most pessimistic Missouri no, fan I know. No I, I think they'll and win. I know Brandon Kylie. I, I think they'll win. I, I, they're not covering the 13 points. 
especially, I mean, Burden's potentially injured, Cook potentially injured, Bradford just mentioned with Robinson. It's a lot of dudes that this high-powered offense thrives off of. Um, and Vanderbilt is absolutely a type of game that you say, oh yeah, Mizzou, 13-point spread, easy, and they win by three. So yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to believe this one, and frankly, it's the first road game. I haven't seen this team play on the road yet. That's another factor into this one. And honestly, it was a really comparable situation in 2019. Mizzou was ranked, albeit briefly, went to Vanderbilt, lost against an also-ran group at that time. Now, for this week, I, I really think that it boils down to how well this team can actually execute when it comes to third downs. Because against Memphis, that game was still in question into the fourth quarter at the Dome in America Center. If this team doesn't do a better job of controlling the ground game and doing it consistently with Schrader and Pete, Schrader has reeled off nice runs in each of the last two victories. But for large portions of the game, you haven't seen the offensive line obliterating at the point of attack. To set the tone for SEC play, I do believe you need to see that this coming Saturday, especially with LSU rolling into Columbia in the next weekend. See, I believe... I'm not going to believe this because I think they cover. I, I think they I think they cover against Vandy. It's Vanderbilt. They stink. Um and if I know anything, the rule of good teams Wins covers ever hurt Mizzou. Yeah, well, <laughs> true. Uh good teams cover. And I think Mizzou's a good team and I think they're gonna cover this four this thirteen and a half point spread that's pushing up to fourteen. And honestly they should. Like they they should take care of business. If the offense is going to be as explosive as it was in the last two games, they should be able to throttle Vanderbilt. But I understand we're fans are a little concerned because you've got injuries as you mentioned Bradford with uh, Cook and with uh, Luther Burden and it just you want to say the thing that screams trap game is Vanderbilt as an SEC opener right before you host LSU. Uh-huh. Therein lies the problem, though. You do have injuries. They are unmistakable. Not only Burden, but Makai Miller, a nice sophomore option who can go down the field, go down the seam. He's not going to be available. It limits what you can do collectively. And let's just say early on, maybe Cook is a little more hindered. He's not running as much. You throw an early pick. You never know how the tide could turn on the road. They're absolutely going to like lose in this game. And I'm going to be so pissed off on Monday. Who's more pissed off on Monday, me or BK, if Mizzou loses? BK. Yeah, absolutely, BK. I don't get that upset about Mizzou. Uh, 636 with, believe it or not, our Air Comfort Service text line 314-399-9646. Believe it or not, tonight's football winner will be the winning, will be the winner of the NFC North. I'm not going to believe because I don't think this one game determines the NFC North. I think it's going to come down to the wire. I still think Green, or excuse me, I still think Detroit is the better team. So even if Green Bay wins tonight, I would still come on the air tomorrow and go. I think Detroit's going to win the NFC North. I, I just think they're all around better. I think Green Bay's closer than I thought they were going to be, but I don't think they can win the NFC North. Not much of a stretch if you consider the other two teams are pretty much irrelevant in the grand scheme Amen of things. To that. Whoa, Minnesota I mean, could come back. No, they couldn't. No, they couldn't. The only thing they're going to come back from is. Uh, well, no, nothing. Not they're coming back from anything. Is uh, Cam Akers going to lead them back, Tanner? Yeah. When he's better, ready to draft. If I, if better if damn I learned that, anything I got as a Rams fan, team. that guy. Madison yeah. went for 90 plus. He was yeah. at least visible. Yeah, well, better than what he could say in the first couple weeks. I'm, a, I'm not going to believe this one because I think if the Packers win, it they're going to be the second place team in that division. I just, I, I frankly see the Detroit Lions as the best team in that division. And once they get Jamison Williams back, once they get back to the health of David Montgomery, they're going to be a powerhouse offensively. So yeah, I'm not going to believe this one. I think it's the Lions, no matter what the outcome of tonight's game is uh, final one on believe it or not, believe it or not the blues. If they are out of the playoff picture at the, oh, I'm sorry. If they're in the playoff picture at the deadline, they add to their roster. 
Oh, man. It's, I, I'll say believe it because I think if they're in the playoff picture or they're right around it, originally I would have said they probably sell off pieces. But I think they now I, – I get the sense that there's some pressure to get back in the playoffs. And I didn't necessarily have that before training camp opened up. I thought it would be one of those where – the smart move probably would be to sell some pieces off like Vrana Kapanen. Maybe they end up doing a little bit of both, selling and buying, uh, kind of like they did last year. But I think there's a real sense of urgency to get into the playoffs. So if they're close, they may look to add. Now, I'm not saying they're adding something of significance. It could be like, okay, we're dealing with injuries. We need another we need another fourth liner to be brought in here. Maybe they add and look to upgrade there. But I could see where they added the deadline possibly, as long as it's nothing that is significant assets they've got to give up this is going to sound weird to people i i'm not believing this one uh, frankly the only way they're adding at the deadline is if they're the top team in the central the, doug's not going to add all right well they're not going to do that yeah then. i mean doug's not adding look you've got a first round draft pick this upcoming draft two seconds and two thirds uh, i mean if he's retooling and the mindset of doug armstrong is retooling he said to randy on the on 101 sports on uh fox 2 that like his mindset, this team is that team when he came over in 2010. And if that's the case, that team missed the playoffs two years. But can you do, can, can you, you can do, do both. both? And this is what I was going to say. They're not going to add unless it's a defenseman that has term. What they'll do is they'll either keep one of their Verona Kapanen free agents and they'll trade the other one for either a young defenseman that has control or a draft pick that they can flip in the offseason that results in them getting to that let, defense. Let, let me let me clarify my question when I say do they do both. Can you both be retooling and show a sense of urgency to get into the playoffs this year? We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I played in Tampa in 2021 and, uh, you know, definitely learned a lot, a lot that year. Um, you know, they kind of opened up my eyes more to like the analytical side of the play, uh, side of baseball. Didn't really have much of that um, coming up in the Cardinals organization and then kind of that 2020 year in, in the Mets kind of never really able to dive into it too much, but um, really introduced to it in 2021 and working with Kyle Snyder over there, pitching coach, um, was amazing. That's Michael Waka, former Cardinals pitcher who was on foul territory yesterday, speaking of the Cardinals pitching development. Uh, and alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Bradford Bruns, I'm Alex Ferrario, BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Uh, Michael Waka opened up a lot of eyes with that comment, at least for Cardinals fans, in terms of where they're deficient. And look, Mo. A lot of Cardinals fans probably already knew this T-Bone and John Mozeliak has stated that they're changing some things with this upcoming offseason, specifically on the coaching side and the development side. But when you hear Michael Waka, who had a 6-6 ERA in New York that first season away from St. Louis, that was 2020 where he referenced there, couldn't really dive into it because of COVID. Tampa Bay, where he talked about really diving into the analytics, a 5-5 ERA. But then Boston 3-3-2, this year 3-3-9 with the San Diego Padres. If this is where the Cardinals are behind and why not only development struggles, but why starting pitchers that they bring in from the outside struggle to thrive here in St. Louis, well, this has the red alarm bells going off all around it. And if you're the Cardinals, you have to fix this before you even get to the offseason. Because not only does it hinder your ability to develop your young pitchers, but it also hinders your opportunity 
to go out there and sign the elite free agents. Because if I'm Blake Snell, if I'm Aaron Nola, if I'm Yamamoto available free agency, and I've not only heard Michael Waka say this, but I heard Zach Gallen talk about this. And who was the, there was another pitcher that talked about the system for the Cardinals. It was just different than where they're at now. Somebody else had mentioned this on foul territory. That's going to sway people away from viewing St. Louis as a destination as a pitcher. Yeah, the reason this comment really stood out to me was it it's the, it tells the story of how the Cardinals and Mets fell behind and and you saw that come to uh had this year yeah and it's not so much of what they're doing at the major league level because look I, I think the major league level they can fix guys I think Dusty Blake kind of showed that this year by fixing Jordan Hicks and the work that they're able to put in with him how they're able to help Matt's kind of rebound from the slow start and get into from going from starter to bullpen back to starter and we've seen what they've done with Zach Thompson now he's been back up with the team I don't have any issues about what they've done at the major league level in terms of how they're working with the guys the issue that the Cardinals have fallen super far behind on is what he said there in terms of then their development system and not being familiar with the analytics from underneath in their the belly of the minor leagues where they can help guys with a pitching lab. That's what Tampa Bay does. Mm-hmm. They've got a pitching lab. They help those guys look at the spin on their stuff, help them work on the shape of their pitches. The Cardinals don't really have that, and they kind of stuck with that mindset of let's kind of just pitch to contact. We don't really need that swing and miss. We don't really need to dive completely in on the analytics side in terms of looking at a pitching lab for our minor league system. You've got to have that now. And that's where they fell behind. And that's why you're seeing where you look at their minor league system, you go, who's the next guy? The first step is admitting there is a problem, that there is a fly in the ointment. There's a problem right there. Now, once you've identified it, however, the quandary is how much can you revolutionize the setup in the span of one off season, you already mentioned Tanner, the fact that the Cardinals, the Mets, some of these larger market outfits are now behind the eight ball. They are decisively behind. Well, when you're playing catch up, when you are tasked with that process and these smaller market organizations are in advance of you, it's not going to miraculously turn over in an overnight way. So the pessimist, I think in a lot of fans, you know, you're led to believe here, yes, okay, the identification is there, but at the same time, just how much is it going to really influence the decisions of the free agents to be the pending free agents out there? Because right now, maybe you're facing an uphill climb that you simply can't make this winter. That's the worst. See, there's two two there's two issues if I'm the Cardinals going into this offseason. One is my development of young pitchers. Which, I mean, look, we talk so negatively about it because of what it's been. Where it's at now, it's still an unknown, if that makes sense. Which I guess could provide you some optimism. Like McGreevy and Graceffa, we've heard so much about these kids. We haven't seen them yet. We've just seen them in the minors. TK Roby looks like an absolute, an absolute gem that they acquired from Texas. And then you've got Tim Kentz that everybody's raving about. Now, the development side of it is, okay, what do these guys look like once you get to the majors? That's where the pessimism that Bradford just talked about, that's, that's issue number one, if I'm the Cardinals. Why can't we turn these guys that have this, this highly touted expectations into big leaguers consistently issue number two is the current issue and that's we're going into an offseason where we need to make significant upgrades to our roster and we've seen in the past that we've been unable to bring in the high level free agents we've always had to go to that next tier down whether it's we're not wanting to spend money or whether it's these guys just aren't interested now not only do i have the issues in the past of not the money that's going to spend to be competitive 
But now I got to worry about the bad PR surrounding my pitching staff, whether it's guys talking about how the 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 analytical side of it's not available to them with St. Louis or the pitch or the catching side of it now with Wilson Contreras and what that's going to look like. There's two main issues for the Cardinals that you're going to have to like figure out how to resolve for the short term and the long term, which is the concerning part for everyone, I would imagine. Yeah, and I'm more concerned about the minor league development that they are working on right now because that is where that's what Waka is referring but to. Is they didn't provi- have it in the minors. But does that provide you more optimism at at the least in terms of you still have opportunity to fix that? I, I guess. I, I mean, I the problem is is it's going to take a couple years to catch up and fix it. Like it's going to take two, three, four years before you can fix it. Um, because this is the same issue they had with hitting. Remember, the whole reason they brought in Jeff Albert was not only to be the hitting coach at the major league level and help guys at the major league level, it was to overhaul their hitting philosophy in the minor leagues. And that's kind of the role Dusty Blake now has. Is His role is to be the pitching coach at the major league level, but to kind of help the Cardinals understand kind of, okay, here's what I'm looking at, here's the analytics, and here's how we're going to have to bring this into our minor league system to figure this out. And th- that's why this is important for them is one they are getting ready to change their pitching philosophy which is a good thing they need to get more to swing and miss drafting and developing that but then the analytical approaches are going to have to have these pitching labs in place and that is the thing that they are lacking behind and that is the thing that they have to start really investing into off the field as much as it is hey they got to go out and sign two three starters they got to go out and improve this bullpen they can do that They've got to also focus on the stuff that's behind the scenes that we don't know enough about in terms of whether or not they're doing it or not, and that is they've got to start investing into those pitching labs so they can help these guys shape their pitches better, and it starts by doing that in the minor leagues. So we were talking about this in the office, and the fast lane talked about this yesterday, and they talked about do the Cardinals have a direction moving forward, and they were more talking about big picture of their position players and and that sort of thing, but let's use a different angle to it. Do the Cardinals have a direction in terms of what they're trying to accomplish with this conversation in place in terms of do you have the clear direction of what you're trying to accomplish this offseason? And internally, we don't know what those conversations are like, but if it's the pitching development side, okay, is that the route we're going? If it's the, if it's the free agent side of what we're trying to accomplish is the direction there for him. Do, do you feel they have a clear direction? I think so, because I think their clear direction is at the major league level. They want more swing and miss. They need to add three quality starters. Now, one thing that they haven't really said, but I think they will do it, is they've got to clean up the outfield log jam or the log jam with the position players. I think they're going to do that because I think that's probably how they reshape the I bullpen. I think that's how you kill two birds with one stone yeah, in an offseason. Exactly. And I, I think so. I think they have a clear direction because I they've made it pretty public what they're going to do. That's a direction. That's a clear direction where we have to wait until the draft of next year is what the direction is in terms of how they're going to start developing the pitching from within. Because as much as they've talked about swing and miss, not a lot of the guys they acquired at the draft this past year had a lot of that swing and miss profile. Now, part of that is because you're drafting later in the draft. This year they'll have higher draft picks, so maybe they can get more guys that have a higher ceiling. But that is the one thing that I would say, I think at the major league level, it's clear what their direction is. The minor leagues, I think it's a little fuzzy right now, but I do think it will kind of clear itself up once you get back to the to the MLB draft. That is the primary focus because in a lot of ways, guys, the last month or so, has that not cleared up for us a bit of the picture, made it a little more clear as far as that 
outfield the logjam about which so many people still want to talk because when you look at this roster for next season can you really envision Tyler O'Neill in place can you envision Dylan Carlson playing an integral role no at this point the evaluation stage has been such that you know at this point forward you can cut bait if necessary in those departments so it's all about the hurling I think if you're searching for direction I I think you have to solve a couple of internal things you mentioned the logjam um, you also need to resolve this Wilson Contreras thing, whether it is just from the outside noise or it's internally you're having these discussions, and then you've got to resolve the issue that is revamping your bullpen. The other stuff, the other stuff has to be the focus, but primarily your direction, you're at least making it very clear, is wanting to win right away. Fix that problem, go that direction, and then in the meanwhile, also be understanding what is needed to continue the development in the right direction for a Cardinals team rather than what it's been in the last few years. Tanner Hendrickson, Bradford Brunson, Alex Ferrario. We've got the junk drawer next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. All right, we dive into the junk drawer here on a Thursday as we hand things over to T-Bone. All right, so I saw this on Twitter yesterday, or X as it's known yeah, it's as called now. called X now. I'm Sorry. not sure if you're up to date with the I, hip kids. I'm not kids. up to date. I'm, I don't know what the kids are doing it's anymore. It's what the DL is. Uh, you know what a time capsule is? Yeah, isn't that what people used to do in terms of, like, putting significant items in and burying it and then looking yeah. it up in, like, the next 20 years? Yeah, so... The world, they, what they believe is the world's oldest time capsule, was recently discovered in a church underneath a church in Poland, and the capsule was from 1726. And the capsule contained they did capsules back then. Apparently, <laughs> uh, the capsule contained 300-year-old coins, some Latin documents, and a deformed lead bullet. And I was thinking, if BK and Ferrario, our show, decided that we're going to do a time capsule, what would we put in there? What would you want to put in a time capsule? A if you garden gnome? Um, no. Yeah. No. So we'll always remember T-Bone was part of the show. Um, wow. That's a good question. I don't, like, I'm trying to think what, what would I want to put in here that, like, in, like, you know, 50 years. That and, we'd open and go, and, oh, yeah. And we're doing that. it to, like, remember what the show was. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. An apple? An apple? Well, that might deform pretty quickly. Well. Mario hat to Mario hat and then a gnome yeah probably those I don't know what would you put text might, line air comfort service text line what would you put it in a BK and Ferrario time capsule I I might put like I mean oh, I, yeah handcuffs Mike Ryder said handcuffs oh, from the punishment that or one. mayonnaise or oh. wax we BK and I both did a wax so yeah probably like a wax I was gonna say I like thinking not related to the that I was gonna put in like my work uh I don't even know where it went out. Yeah, yeah. Well, can't even find I can't it even right find now. it. It must be Yikes. in the time capsule already. I don't know. But my key card I'd put it's in gotta there. It's got to be something that, like, that's memorable to the three of us. Yeah. I, and that's the part that's difficult. I Maybe my headphones, but like that one. See, that's like too. I'm thinking funny. That's just too like, I don't know. I'm precious. Put, you're like Hallmark Channel. I'm thinking Comedy Central yeah, right but now. I don't want to, like, I won't remember the comedy stuff. Like, Are you kidding me? I'm not I pull an apple out. I'm, I know exactly what that means. See, I wouldn't, I'll have no idea in 50 years. Well, you might not be around in 50 years Whoa. for how you live. That's Whoa. depressing. Hot dogs, yeah. hot I, dogs and coffee 24-7. I'm younger than you. I, I know. I, uh, 
Oh, BK's dress from last year? Yeah. Uh, no, that needs to be burned somewhere. We never need to see that thing again. Yeah, I, I don't know if I want that in the time capsule. Yeah. But I was just trying to think, like, what are some old things that would... Like, one thing that would fit in a time capsule probably now, because nobody has these anymore, are earbuds that, like, actually plug in to your phone. Oh, nobody yeah, like has the, uh, the Apple ones? Yeah, everybody yeah, has the adapter AirPods. With it. So that yeah. is something that, like, 50 years from now... That would make sense. When I'm playing music just in my head and I don't even need ear- AirPods anymore... Yeah. ...would be good. Man, I'm, like, drawing a blank on this, and typically I can, like, come up with these, but... Maybe older phones. Probably. The flip phone. Ooh, a classic. Flip phone. I'll be honest, not being quite as familiar with all the nuances, I thought at first, Tanner, you were just sending us the synopsis for National Treasure 3. <laughs> Sounds like Nick Cage's next adventure. Yeah, we could do that, too. Hey, I can't wait for for National Treasure 3. Yeah. I loved 1 and 2. Did you see Keanu Reeves is going to be in National Treasure 3? Like, what a great actor for it. Oh, this is a good one from the text line from the 314. A hockey puck for Alex. Yeah. A bone for T-Bone. Yeah. And a man card for BK. That's not bad. That's a good one. I don't know if I'd rem- I'd, I don't know if I'd remember with a, with a bone. I'd be like, why is this in here? 636, a stick from a, from the tree BK walked into. Another good one. Yeah, that's a good one. A beer that uh, Tanner bl- threw up on the beer mile. Yeah, a Game, and a then, game Boy. I don't know. When have we ever talked about a Game Boy? Uh, we've talked about video have games we? before. Yeah, a mayonnaise. For your boy a mask for the pandemic that makes sense <laughs> a paintball what everybody missed out on and then uh and then after we do our prostate exam a lube i may take a screenshot of negative nancy's text here from the 314 is that her name well or karen i don't know if there's a <laughs> i don't care i don't know if there's a uh but oh, from the 314 i'll take a screenshot of this just so i can remember this one person didn't like the junk drawer Talk sports show. How about the Blues and Cardinals things? Why don't we talk sports? Well, we'll continue talking sports coming up on the other side. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Yeah, he really is. And I didn't think about that question, Riv, until last night. Like, all the talk has been about Joel Holper. He's got the credentials. He's ready. He's proven it. I think he's been, like, American Hockey League Goalie of the Week, Goalie of the Month uh, ten times. He's just been uh, really great in Springfield. And so now it's his chance, and they gave him the contract to do so. Uh, They brought in Malcolm Supan for depth purposes. You know, I think if Hofer either fell on his face or there's an injury, you know, we'd see Subban probably earlier than expected. But I think the plan, as we talk about it right now, is Joel Hofer as the backup. But gosh, you got to be really excited about what you're seeing in Subban. That, of course, is Jeremy Rutherford, our Blues insider of The Athletic, who was on the fast lane yesterday. And alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Bradford Bruns, I'm Alex Ferrario. That's the expectation. Joel Hofer, the backup. They got him the contract extension. Frankly, it's how it was supposed to be this season. And I don't think anything's going to change that going into the year. And Joel Hofer, of course, expected to play tonight for the Blues against Chicago. But Malcolm Subban sure has made this interesting. And the only reason I'm talking about this is because Doug Armstrong was the one that referenced it. It was right before training camp started. Uh, We were out at Centene, and somebody asked about Joel Hofer. And he talked about how, you know, the expectations are high for Joel. He looked great last year. Of course, he picked up that shutout victory against the Winnipeg Jets. But then he made the comment that, and we expect Malcolm Subban to push Joel Hofer for that backup job. And both BK and I locked eyes, and we're like, yeah, okay. 
But now that you've seen two games of Malcolm Subban, who absolutely has robbed both games. Now, out in Arizona, it didn't go his way. He allowed two goals in the first period, but he saw 21 shots on goal. And then the other night, he played the last two periods, gave up one goal, but was absolutely the best player on the ice for the Blues against the Columbus Blue Jackets in preseason action. By no means do I think Malcolm Subban starts the season as the backup and Joel Hofer's in the minors. But Joel Hofer, just like Jordan Bennington, is going to have to be on his A game because Malcolm Subban, who has NHL games under his belt, could be the first call-up for St. Louis with Joel Hofer being waiver-eligible or non-waivers. You could see the Blues look at this and say, okay, Joel might need a little bit more seasoning in the minors. Let's bring up Malcolm Subban. I don't expect that to happen, but you're going to have to be on your game because the internal competition for goaltending is solid. Yeah, and that's a good thing. You want to have that if you're the St. Louis Blues. You want to have quality depth with your goaltending to where if Hofer, whether it is, as mentioned in that cut there, falls on his face in training camp or falls on his face in the season, you've got a guy that you can call up and you're not going, oh, man. We don't have anybody mm-hmm. like, you know, like when they had Chad year. Johnson. Oh, yeah, oh, wow. I wasn't going to throw our boy Thomas Grice under the bus. Well, I mean, look, Thomas Grice retired after last season. So he was old. Yeah, it was. And it didn't look good. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but uh, I, I think when you talk about the goaltending depth, it is good to have someone that is going to be down there. Not just in the case of Malcolm Subban as depth to where it is. If Hofer or Bennington gets hurt, you know, you've got a guy that you can count on that you're going to call up. But also for the fact of the matter that he's going to be a good guy that has NHL experience that's going to be down there to work with Zarenko. And that yeah, was part of the reason they the brought reason. him in. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I think the depth that the Blues team has is good. I agree with you. I, I think it's a long shot for Subban to beat out Hofer. But we'll see. You know, if Hofer struggles tonight against the Chicago Blackhawks and continues to struggle in camp, you've seen Malcolm Subban stopping 50 of 54 shots that he's seen so far. He's played really well, and he is certainly starting to put his name on the map because everybody that we talk to, you know, we've talked with Curbs, we've talked with Joey, we've talked with JR. What is one name that we continue to hear when we ask the question of who's impressed you so far in camp? Malcolm Subban's name continues to be brought up, and we'll see if that kind of fizzles out or if Joel Hofer continues to play strong but he's at least putting his name on the map now to be someone that could potentially kind of pull off a, if you want to call it, a roster upset and make his way onto this team. Yeah, there's there's no scenario where Joel Hofer loses that job out of camp. I mean, frankly, you're going to give him the benefit of the doubt regardless of what preseason looks like. But again, Malcolm Subban is going to be the guy that everybody's going to be talking about if one struggles or, of course, when an injury pops up. Here's the other factor into this. And I know this is getting way too far in front of my skis, putting the cart before the the horse, but Vadim Zarenko is very crucial to the future for the Blues. So is Joel Hofer. Like, goaltending-wise, you are stacked at depth. You've got Bennington, you've got Hofer, you've got Zarenko, who they are very excited about, and we're not even talking about Colton Ellis, who, like, set a shutout record in juniors before he came over. He's probably ECHL-bound, but we'll get some AHL time if somebody gets called up next year. Malcolm Subban plays into this in the sense of if Zarenko's growth is significant this season— and Joel Hofer looks good, and Jordan Bennington is the Jordan Bennington we all know, save your snarky remarks, this is how the Blues can expedite that retool mindset that they have. Because when you have a lot of goaltenders that you feel like can be NHL ready, and believe me, they're hoping Vadim Zarenko is one of these guys, just like they were hoping Joel Hofer is one of these guys. You're able to flip, and what's the one commodity that every NHL team wants? It's goaltending, and it's good goaltending. 
If Joel Hofer performs well and you've got Vadim Zarenko who is growing in the minors that feels like, hey, he might be ready in a year or two. Well, welcome to your ability to make a significant trade to upgrade your deficient area and not hurting your team in the long run because you've got your guy. You've got your Jordan Bennington for the next four years. And by the time that that four years is up of Jordan Bennington, well, welcome to the scales tilting. Now, all of this resides on Bennington playing well. If he struggles and Holford looks better, well, then now you're in a different spot. And maybe Zarenko becomes that piece. But goaltending depth benefits teams that want to make trades and be aggressive in the future because it's what every team wants. Yeah, and I, I think when you're talking about those goalies there, I think we're probably a year away from that because that feels like an off-season move because of what we talked about Absolutely. in Believe It or Not, um, where we said, you know, do you show urgency? Do you go in? I don't know if there's a big trade they can pull off at the deadline this year because of the roster they Doubtful, have. Doubtful, especially with but, a backup goaltender. Yeah, and I, I think you're right on, though, that with this goaltending depth that these names start to pop up when you get back into the offseason next year. And that's where... To your point, if they decide to let's keep our let's keep our picks, you know, let's hold on to our first, hold on to our multiple seconds, hold on to our thirds, they they've got the prospects to make potentially a move, and that's where whether it be Hofer or Zarenko's name can come to the conversation. It's where honestly Balduk's name is starting to really fall into place of more of a trade candidate than a guy that is going to be a major driving piece on the St. Louis Blues roster as of now. And again, that can all change. But yeah, with this goaltending depth that they have developed in terms of Zarenko and Hofer and then they've got Subban that's down there he's not much he's not a trade piece but he's down there to help Zarenko you can move on from one of those guys and use them as a trade piece and that's why it's going to be fascinating to see what ends up happening and again you're right it does depend on Jordan Bennington and him playing well because then it allows for that trickle down piece to come of okay now who do we believe is the backup moving forward Hofer or Zarenko and then we can move on from the other one to help us add to our roster. The amount of teams when they see a young goaltender available via trade, uh, they they jump at the opportunity for that. And some teams are willing to get more aggressive than they'd like to admit because they know that that's such a crucial piece to growing your team moving forward. And look, this all resides on both guys performing well. If one drops off or one doesn't play well, well, then you're in a bit of a, a, um, a tight spot and you got to stick with where you're at. But uh, just like we've talked about with all of these these minor league forwards that can score goals and all of these left-handed defensemen when people are like, what are the Blues doing? Well, they're adding depth to an area that everybody wants. And when you have multiple guys excelling, now you can move one of them to benefit your team in areas that you're deficient. And that's what I think Doug Armstrong and his staff do so well. And frankly, that's why I'm very intrigued of how this goaltending depth looks this season for the St. Louis Blues. It's Joel Hofer expected to play tonight against the Blackhawks. Uh, Will Cranley, another goaltender in the system, is going to probably get at least one period, maybe two, depending on what the Blues' plan is uh, for this team out in Chicago. We've got puck drop at 7.30 with our first community pregame starting at 6.30. Coming up next for the our Cardinals as the season heads to an end how would you rate the new rules in Major League Baseball and how would you rate the Cardinals taking advantage of those rules we'll get to that next on 101 ESPN we're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN Alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Brad, Bradford Bruns, I'm Alex Ferrario, BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. So the season winding down in Major League Baseball, if you're a Cardinals fan, season's been over since August. Um, sorry, I'm sorry. That was that was cruel. But the new rules 
that were implemented this season absolutely are a talking point, even with the Cardinals being out of the playoff run. And a lot of this is because of what Ronald Acuna Jr. has done this season with the stolen bases and setting the record for the amount of home runs and stolen bases he has produced this season. And when you think of the new rules that were set in place and how much we talked about them at the beginning of the season in terms of, you know, stealing the bases and the pitch clock and how fast the pitches were going to go, what it impacted in the game, how would you... How would you rate what baseball has accomplished this season in terms of implementing those new rules? I mean, it's an A-plus for me. I mean, I think they've all been great. I think you saw early on it was um, a little bit to where the pitch clock, you were like, oh, okay, are players going to be able to adjust to this? And and they've done a really good job adjusting to it. You barely see – I think I read something this morning that, you know, it's one out of every four games you see a pitch clock violation, which is great. That shows that the players adjusted to it. And honestly, just the pace of play is so much better. And – I, I know like two, three years ago, I, I've mentioned this before, you know, it felt like I had to make a pot of coffee before watching a Cardinals <laughs> game because it was just a that. slow, dragging affair. And I couldn't even imagine what it would be like this year if I had to watch them with no pitch clock. Um, so I, I think that's been good. I think the the banding of the shift, you've seen the batting average on balls and play has gone up and it looks just a little bit cleaner. It's more aesthetic to look at. And then also too, just the the, the stolen basis, the fact that they have gone up. Now, I do think that... Steals, I think I saw they're close to like 80% success rate, which is a little too high for my liking. Yeah. But I do, outside of that, I'm not going to complain too much about that because it has added the excitement. It has allowed for a Ronald Acuna Jr. to be able to become the first ever player to have 40-plus home runs and 70 stolen bases. Like, I, we were never going to see that. Maybe four, you would see 40 home runs, no question about that. You were never going to see a guy get 70 stolen bases in the old rules because I mentioned this to Bradford in the office earlier today. He's basically played the same amount of games that he did back in 2019, which was his second year as a player in the major leagues, and he stole 37 bases, and that led baseball. So you can see the significance that the rule changes had to allow for more running into the game of baseball, and I love that. Across the board, guys, it's been phenomenal. If you look at it strictly through the lens of a pure MLB fan, you have to be absolutely thrilled with the results. In this region, however, I don't think that many fans have been able to reap those same benefits because if you look at the way in which the Cardinals have approached adjusted, whatever A word you would like to use, to the new rules, it's basically been a non-starter. Honestly, Tanner, when we proposed this topic last night, I had to really dig deep and attempt to research whether the Cardinals at this point in the season 2023 compared to last year actually had any additional stolen bases. And it's a negligible difference. They have 99 stolen bases to this point with a handful of games left, 95 last season. And what is the stark difference? The stark contrast here is that everybody else in the central division, everybody else around you is running markedly more last season. Cincinnati Reds. Maybe it's an easy opportunity here. Maybe it's an easy example. This team barely stole 50 backs. This season, the running Reds, they have 188, and they lead all of baseball. When you go up and down the division, Milwaukee, Chicago, etc., you're seeing other teams run a lot more, but more to the point, they also have the personnel to do so, and they're giving that personnel the green light to be able to seize these opportunities. We're not seeing that approach from the Redbirds. Well, I don't think we're going to see that approach until they get the personnel for it. And I, Mason wins a guy that's probably going to steal more bases. You know, when Brendan Donovan's healthy, we've seen he's willing to do that. And Jordan Walker is just depends on kind of where he's at in terms of the lineup and being on base, if not. But you don't have the personnel yet. Now, you've got guys in the minors that will be personnel for that, like Victor Scott, when he gets called up and plays center field, he's going to be one of those guys. 
the, the stolen bases is just exciting in itself, but to me, it's the time clock. Time clock is everything, and that's where the A-plus comes into play. You accomplishing these quick games, quicker games, I should say, brings more people in. And we've we've talked about college football of how they're turning it into like a promo for a boxing match and the excitement around it. This is how you promote baseball. This is how you promote. You're able to bring the excitement back. You know, the banning of the shift, I think, has provided some excitement, too, in terms of more guys on base, more base hits. You've got the stolen bases, more more excitement in game when guys are on base. But it's the time. It's not four hours waiting for a game to end. It's when there's extra innings happen. You know it's not going to take an extra hour, especially people that are watching games on different areas. You're more acclimated to to being a part of the game than what it was in the past. And I think that's the success that the Cardinals are that major league baseball has accomplished. Yeah, And one thing that I'm curious to see about these rules when it gets to the playoffs, because they're not changing anything in the playoffs is, which is good, by the way, side note, the people that are like, Oh, you got to add more time to the pitch clock. Yeah. If you've done it for 162, don't change it in the playoffs. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. And I heard, uh, Rob Manford was on, uh, Marshan's sports media podcast yesterday and he had a good, good quote of you know we went back and looked at some of the older at bats i think he mentioned the kirk gibson home run in the playoffs he's like it wouldn't have been a pitch clock violation then so we don't expect it to be a problem now um so i i do like the thing with this i am curious to know if some of the intensity dissipates in the playoffs i don't expect it to but i am curious because the game is a little bit faster there's not that okay i can take my time on the mound to deliver a big pitch here with a winning run on third and it's game five potential walk off you mean upholding the rules yes uh-huh. yes but <laughs> i i I'm not, i don't think the intensity of anything's going to disappear here. To Bradford's point, though, on the Cardinals and kind of staying the same with stolen bases, though, I I think you're right. I, I think it is more so not that they don't want to be a team that's going to steal bags. Because I think Ollie will when he knows yeah. that he's got the opportunity to. I, I agree. I, I think they are a team that would love to do it more, but they just don't have the personnel to do it. Like, I'm, I'm running through this roster right now. Contreras, not going to be a guy that's going to steal bags. Goldie does a pretty good job of it. I'm actually surprised he's only at 11 this year. I thought maybe there'd be more, but he is getting older. I and mean, that he's could in his be age injury situation, year. too, because he's been battling through a lot this season. Uh, Gorman, not a guy that's going to steal a ton of bags. Shortstop Mason Wynn will be a guy that will start to put up some numbers if he gets on base. That'll be the that's key the for other him. Thing too, especially where he's batting when you're batting eighth or ninth. That's going to be a, a prime opportunity. You just got to get on base. And, and then you can look at the rest of the roster. Arnado. Not a guy that's going to steal any bases. O'Neal, if you are healthy most of the year, but, you know, he's too worried about staying healthy, so he's not going to steal any bases. <laughs> Lars Newpar's the only guy that I would look at and say, okay, he probably should have a little bit more, but again, he wasn't healthy for a big chunk of the year. Mm-hmm. Walker, I think, is going to have an uh, increase in stolen bases next year. And then Tommy Emmons is the other guy that just can, you know, if he gets on base, he can take a bag, and that's why he's at 25 stolen bases. So, yeah, and I mean, frankly, like the, the future of the Cardinals, it, it does have speed and stolen bases in it. Like when you talk about the power hitters, the Gormans, the Walkers, the Arenados, like those guys are going to be Wilson Contreras. Those guys are going to be the middle of your order. We're talking about Wynn, Edmund, Newt Barr, um, Victor Scott when he's here. Those are the guys that are prime position to move over when the ideal runs or runners in scoring position are present. And Right now, it's just not there for them. Next year, I would expect an uptick in it. In two years, I really expect them to be towards the top. And the stolen bases, that's the easy aspect to identify because we can easily associate those numbers. They're concrete. They're out there. Now, in terms of putting pressure on the opposing defense, which also has been heightened, certainly around Major League Baseball this season, that's, I think, what so many fans here want to see an additional amount of that situational hitting, being able to hit with those runners, Alex, in scoring position and so forth. If you see more results to that end, the 
sheer stolen bases don't become quite as consequential. Now, I do want to address the 314 Senate text. You know, they said, we knew for three years the rules were coming. Cardinals only team unprepared and unwilling to play by the 2023 rules. It's like Dabo Sweeney saying transfers are wrong. So we're just playing by the old rules and stink. I I think there's some fairness to that. I, I think the way that they were caught off guard by how this was going to impact their pitching staff was something that we raised questions in the before the season started. And remember, Mo had to cut on, I think it was the opening drive on opening day where he said, well, you know, I don't think this is going to affect us. Yeah, well, that I, didn't bite him in the rear end. They they learned this year that that this does the, the banning of the shift oh, did impact absolutely. their pitch to contact staff. I I don't know if it's fair to criticize them though for the not prepared for guys stealing bases because it's just a different way of winning baseball. The Reds the Reds have to do it. Why? Because they have less talent on their team compared to the other contenders. I'm not trying to say the Cardinals have more talent than the Reds. Right. They don't right now, but they have to try and do that. Why? Because they have less talent on their team. They're not as successfully offensively as a team like the Atlanta Braves who just slug the freaking crap out of the baseball. So I don't necessarily say the Cardinals should have been like, oh, we got to go out and get a bunch of athletic guys that are stealing 30, 40 bases in a season. No, I, I think it's just a way of building, but mm-hmm. I do think it is fair to very be very critical of them not prepared for the banning of the shift yeah. with their pitching staff. Yeah, that's going to be the crucial point, and frankly, that's where they've gotten to the point where they look at the staff and they say, we've got to change some things up. We need more swing and miss because the contact isn't working like it used to uh, with the banning of the shift. Tanner Hendrickson, Bradford Bruns, I'm Alex Ferrario. Coming up next, Tori Krug spoke to the media a couple of days ago. We were going to get to this yesterday, but then we had the breaking news in the NBA Tory Krug's comments, though, I thought were very critical in terms of his expectations this season. But did his comments do anything for the fan base? We'll discuss next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Obviously, I, I chose to stay here and uh, I think that... You know, I want to be part of this room and love playing in the city and, and wearing the blue note. So, um, something I'm very excited about. And um, obviously, you don't want to, you don't like hearing things like that. Uh, you know, I have kids, I have a family, uh, a lot of things to think about. But uh, at the end of the day, like I said, I, I want to be here and, and wear the note. And uh, we have a great lock coming here. With the, you know, great feeling in the room this year, and uh, I think we can turn around quick. So that was Tory Krug a couple of days ago as he spoke with the media for the first time this preseason, of course, dealing with a little bit of an injury at the beginning of training camp, working his way back, expected to play in some exhibition games. But that wasn't what Tory Krug was talking about. Tory Krug was talking about the offseason where the report surfaced that he was traded to Philadelphia. He nixed the trade with his no trade clause, and now he's back with St. Louis. And typically, T-Bone, when you get a player that says, man, I want to be here. This is where I want to play. I want to stay here, and I want to help this team win a championship. Everybody's like, hell yeah, let's go. Tory Krug, a part of the crew. Let's win this Stanley Cup. It was the same thought I had. Uh, not so much when he underperforms. And I that's what I wonder with the fan base of Tory Krug. And look, this is a small group we're talking about that views this as, oh, well, Tory Krug put the Blues in a bad spot because he didn't accept the trade and they could have got Travis Sanheim. They also could have got another guy with seven-year deal at $6.5 million. And you just don't know how that plays out. And for Tory Krug... A lot of this has to do with what he's going to do on the ice this season. Words are words. Actions speak louder than them for him and, frankly, for any athlete, wherever they're playing. But for Tory Krug, those comments, to me, add a little more to substance of this upcoming season for him. And what I mean by that is 
Joey made this reference on pregame. I think this was Tuesday when we chatted before the Columbus game. And he said, we all remember the the outpour of people with Vladimir Tarasenko of where he said he wanted out and didn't want to be here. And a lot of fans were like, fine, let's trade him and get what we can. And it didn't happen. And Doug Armstrong said, look, he's an adult. He's a professional. He's going to go through this season. Like we're going to go through this season. Barubi said it, Vladdy said it, and he put up the best season of his career scoring 82 points. I wonder if Tory Krug's in the same camp. Now I don't think his comments do anything for fans. I think it's going to be how he performs, but we also act like Tory Krug has been bad since he's been in St. Louis. And Tory Krug has actually been good. Tory Krug has just dealt with injury after injury after injury. We're talking about a guy who put up uh, 30 assists and 32 points in 51 games in his first season with the Blues. And then last or two years ago, he had 43 points in 64 games, was a plus 23, which was top 20 in the National Hockey League among defensemen, point-per-game player in the playoffs, got injured in that playoff series against the Minnesota Wild, and then never was the same, never came back. And last year was a bad year for him. So I look at what he said, and I say, Tory Krug, although you're going to have to perform behind it, those actions could speak a lot louder to the fans in St. Louis, you stating you want to be here rather than just making the comments of, yep, it was in the past. And I don't want to talk about it anymore. We're moving forward. Yeah. I'm a little surprised that we've seen some of the reaction from the fan base on Tory Krug since he did basically, he said he wants to be here and wants to be a part of the solution. Uh, so I'm a little surprised by the reaction, but I think you're right. I think it's just going to come down to what he does on the ice, because if he has another down year, like he did last year, then he's not going to be able to turn kind of the tide of the fan base. He is going to be viewed more as the guy that blocked the Blues from upgrading defensively rather than being the guy that could help them and be part of the solution. So I'm fascinated to see what he does this season and if he can use this as, I don't want to say he's not motivated, but use this as more motivation to prove the Blues wrong, that that he shouldn't have been in trade conversations this offseason, that he is a guy that is going to be a part of the solution. He's going to have to stay healthy, which already off to a bad start there, but it looks like he'll play in the preseason. So he's a guy that is kind of, we don't talk a lot about him when we talk about the defense bouncing back because we focus on the guys that are at the top there. We focus on Pareko and his partner. You focus on Justin Falk because his year was down. We don't focus on Tory Krug a lot, and I think he's the guy that is going to be someone that if he's healthy and plays well, you're going to notice it, and then I think these comments are really going to kind of sway the fan base back in his favor. I do think people should focus more on Tory Krug, and I mentioned this with Donnie on the Last Minute Blues podcast. People should view Tory Krug as a monumental piece of this team's success this year. Like, yeah, he was not great last year for him. And the Blues would even say that. Tory Krug would say that. But the year prior, he was. And Tory Krug, people want physicality in front of the net. Now, look, Tory Krug is not the biggest guy. He's five foot nine. Tory Krug does play with a little bite to his game. We've seen that, frankly, when he was with Boston, and we've seen that in his years with St. Louis. Tory Krug offensively has the ability to take your power play from bottom half of the league to top half of the league just himself. And Tory Krug is exactly what we talked about in the 12 o'clock hour, a guy that creates offense and puts pucks on net that creates havoc in front of the net. Uh, We talk so much about this defense improving and look, it could go south again. But if there's one guy that I'm going to look at and say, man, if you're going to go off of motivation factor, it's going to be him in terms of how he impacts this team. And we're talking about Tory Krug could be playing with Justin Falk in your top four. And then it comes down to who's working with Pareko. And as much as we talk about Tory Krug and what he's going to accomplish with this Blues team, 
you also have to talk about what Scott Perunovich can provide. Uh, before we get to Perunovich, I want to I want to address some of the texts we're getting because I'm seeing a lot of texts that are coming. You guys got to be kidding me. Tory Krug has not been good. I, I think part of the reason that Tory Krug becomes kind of a, I mean, all the defensemen were this last year, but kind of becomes a guy that gets kind of circled and targeted by the fan base for not being quote unquote good is kind of twofold. One, there is, and this partly on Pareko here, and I hate to say I'm don't want to circle Krug and then I circle Colton Pareko. I think one is because Krug and Falk are supposed to be an offensive pairing. The problem is, is if you don't have a shutdown pairing like the Blues have not had, Preco has not been able to ha- lead a shutdown pairing with anybody so far while Krug's been here, that it all of a sudden it becomes, okay, well, they're not the number one pairing. Now this offensive unit needs to be better defensively, and they're not going to be that. And then I think the second part of it, too, is kind of what you were saying in terms of he's more of a power play guy, and everybody's just going to circle his last season from a year in which the whole defense was disappointing. And I, I think for Tory Krug, I, I think, and the fact of the matter, he was signed after Petrangelo left, too, is the other factor here, too. I think it's twofold. It's they don't really have a shutdown pairing, and that offensive pairing in Krug and Falk, all of a sudden fans expect them to play more defensively to make up for the lack from that top pairing. And then also the fact of the matter that he was signed the same offseason that they let Petro walk. And he, was ne- he never was signed to replace Petro. But... It just easily becomes the easy connection of, oh, Falk was traded for. Why? As the replacement for Petro. Why was Krug signed? Because Petro left. They had to fill that void. And I think that's why he kind of, because I agree with you. I I don't think he's been, I don't think he's been great by any means since he's been here. I think he's been fine. Um, But I think that's why most of our text line looks at Tory Krug and goes, He's not been the guy that you guys are saying. He's not been a good defenseman for the St. Louis Blues. We have to stop doing this in terms of putting these these narratives on these players that they just aren't. We did this with Falk in terms of, well, Falk's Alex Petrangelo's replacement. You can't replace Alex Petrangelo. Well, Por- Colton Pareko is supposed to be the alpha dog. Colton Pareko is not an alpha dog. Colton Pareko is a really good defenseman. He's not a, He's not considered in the elite category, but people are trying to put him in the elite category. Tori Krug was signed because you didn't bring back Alex Petrangelo. That's absolutely correct, but Tori Krug was not signed to be Alex Petrangelo. Let me give you a couple of names right now. You like Mackenzie Wieger, T-Bone? Yeah, he's pretty good. Tori Krug had more goals than Mackenzie Wieger in the 2021-2022 season. What's his plus minus? Uh, it was plus 40 compared to plus 23, and they were both top 10 in terms of plus minus that That's season. You like Jacob Slavin from the Carolina Hurricanes? Yeah. T-Bone has no idea who he is. I've heard he's good. More points from Tory Krug and a better plus minus from Tory Krug than Jacob Slavin in 21-22. What about Jared Spurgeon? What about Jacob Truba? What about Mikhail Sergachev? What about Brandon Montour, Josh Morrissey, Miro Haskin, and Vince Dunn? Like, all of these guys that I'm naming to you, Tory Krug was the better version of those guys in the 21-22 season. Last year was bad. And look, last year could be this year for Tory Krug. But I could say the same thing about Pareko, about Falk, about Letty, about Scandella. And if that's the case, yeah, this team's going to stink. But the pessimistic side of me looks at it and say, well, yeah, it's the same team. But the optimistic side of me goes back to the 21-22 season and says, okay, this was the best of those guys. Can I get somewhere in between, and what does this team look like? So to the per- to the texter's points of, you guys got to be bleeping kidding me. You think Krug has been good for the Blues? He was good in the first two years in terms of the standards of what you signed him for. He was not good last year. And that's where we come to this season and say, let's see what Tory Krug has to offer. The motivation behind him is why the optimism in me says, 
Could he be a guy that's in your top four, a number one power play producer, and somebody who can contribute offensively? And if not, well, then yes, we're back to the same conversation. And guess what? Doug Armstrong has said if it's the same thing this year like it was last year, there's going to be significant changes. That's where we hold out hope for a guy like Tory Krug. And frankly, if I'm a Blues fan, I want Tory Krug to succeed this season because that makes my team that much better. Tanner Hendrickson, Bradford Bruns, I'm Alex Ferrario. We'll come back with the rewind next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Stewart's American Mortgage. Google the bagel loan. Featuring zero fees and zero closing costs. Lane is going to be live this Friday tomorrow from 2 to 6 in Auto Center's Nissan Herculaneum for their huge anniversary sale. You can check out 750 new and used vehicles of almost every make in stock, discounted and ready for sale. Plus, spin to get up into an additional $1,000 off and register to win a new Polaris ATV and so much more. So go check them out. Fastlane Live tomorrow from Auto Center's Nissan anniversary sale out in Herculaneum. As we we rewind it with Tanner Hendrickson and Bradford Bruns, I'm Alex Ferrario. We'll start or we'll end where we started, and that was Zach Thompson's performance last night for the Cardinals. Now, they lost to the Milwaukee Brewers. His final line didn't look great. Some of that was, most of it was because of defensive plays uh, late in that game but from the first three to four innings we saw swing and miss we saw some of the off-speed pitches land for for strikes in terms of the batter couldn't even swing the bat because they didn't know where it was going to go Zach Thompson after 10 starts has gotten to be what is it around like a 4.29 ERA for the Cardinals he has pitched like a number five I would imagine the Cardinals are viewing him as somebody who can compete for the number five spot The real question is going to be, do the Cardinals want to spend money on somebody who pitches like Zach Thompson in the offseason that has more depth, or do they want to allocate the money that would be spent on that number five on other areas that need to be increased? And that is going to be the bigger dilemma for this Cardinals team. Yeah, I I think Thompson has earned the right to be called a number five starter. You could could go into reasonably next spring and say Zach Thompson's our number five, or at least he's going to start as the favorite to the number five. Maybe somebody else like TK Roby ends up being that guy, but Zach Thompson's numbers were good down the stretch. As you mentioned, a four, two ERA and a 1.29 whip and projected over his final 10 outings. If you projected over a full, full season, 147 to third innings pitch four, two ERA. What, what I, the reason I keep pushing back and saying that they need to sign a third starter to be that number five and you're right, the money will be the thing that they're going to have to figure out how they're going to allocate all their resources. But the reason I say it is I want to go into spring training saying, I know what our number six spot looks like, and that is Zach Thompson, and he's a really good number six. And that way, if there are injuries, you have more depth, and you know what you have, and you have kind of a quote-unquote certainty at the six spot, rather than if you have Thompson as the five, and you start to deal with injuries, you go, 
here's who we have as the six, and I think this is what we have. And that sort of thing could be one of the big determining factors between whether you're talking about being an also-ran in the Central Division again or actually being competitive because could Zach Thompson, based on what we saw down the stretch, especially with more of that proverbial swing and miss stuff, be your number five? Sure. In an ideal world, is he next season opening the campaign? No, he's not. But it is the sort of note on which you want to see a Zach Thompson end his season, particularly since we talked about it, Tanner, before the show in the office. The fact that the velo wasn't there to such a degree in his previous start. He had given up 14 runs in 22 September innings to that point, but he rounds it out in nice form. You would hope to see something similar from Dakota Hudson this afternoon, at least in terms of what sort of role what kind of role definition would you get yeah well in Dakota Hudson I mean look you're speaking to the guy that believes he's an ace that uh, has just not been untapped potential but I I think Dakota Hudson um, has proven to be a seven or eight starter for this team next season rather than somebody who could be a six and what I mean by that is Zach Thompson the reason I'd lean more towards the number five is because I've seen progress I've seen Zach Thompson be a guy that everybody thought was done for and is just a bullpen arm to somebody who legitimately put himself back into the conversation of a rotation arm because of the swing and miss, the longevity, the fastball velocity, and I'm optimistic about what he can work on in the offseason. Dakota Hudson doesn't fall into that category for me. Matthew Liebertor doesn't fall into that category for me, which is why you've got to go out there and find another arm that could be in that conversation so that Graceffo and McGreevy and Hence and Roby, all of those guys can continue to develop in the minors. Dakota Hudson, no matter what he does the rest of the season, I believe there's a spot for him, but that spot for him is you're in Memphis, unless you're in a bullpen for us in some capacity, you're in Memphis when we need an emergency start. Yeah, and the decision they're going to have with the Thompson scenario at that number five is you mentioned, I mean, everybody that you look at number fives, and we talked about it earlier, so if you missed that conversation, check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. I I think it comes down to, can we use that money, which would be about 5 to $10 million on a number five? Do we use that on that fifth spot and have Thompson as the six, or do we use that money in the bullpen to go get a bullpen arm or two, and then we have Thompson as the five, and we figure out the six down the road. And that's where I think you can kill two birds with one stone of not spending all of the money via free agency on those bullpen arms by clearing up some of that uh, clog of outfielders that people say that the Cardinals have, trading some of those pieces to get bullpen arms so that you can allocate your money in other directions. As Tanner mentions, if you missed anything of our conversation today, you can check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Huge shout-out to Bradford Bruns, who uh, did a great job today filling in for us. BK will be back tomorrow. We'll have our pickums for the weekend so that BK will uh, basically the inevitable just suffer his punishment next week. Uh, and, of course, we've got Blues Hockey tonight pregame i've got it first community pregame starting at 6 30 puck drop at 7 30 until then it's going to be the fast lane coming up next on 101 espn you've been listening to the bk and ferrario podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn